thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. Hello everybody and welcome along to another special programme from the Radio Show Limited Network of Channels and for the next, well frankly however long it takes, we're going to be looking back at the 2020 FIA Formula One World Championship. I'm John Hindhoff and joining me to look back is our Formula One correspondent Nick Dearman. And that's what we've that got was, time for. <laughs> that was rather longer than the season itself, wasn't it? Um, and because he was involved in our second part of the preview, because we had two previews, one before the start of the season that when we expected it to start, and the second in July when it actually did start, welcome back to Joe Bradley. Hello, everybody. Dragging me away from uh, drinking coffee and eating meat, uh, mince pies at this time of well, day. Yes, exactly. Or right. meat pies. Formula One, so. Or meat pies or any kind of pies. Pork pies pork be pies my favourite. There, there, there are no pies left. Yes. Pies. I bet them all. Yes. Who ate all the pies? I, I, wasn't frankly. Gonna, I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> I bet them all, Miss. Uh, Everyone. <laughs> let's, uh, let's reflect, first of all. Uh, and it is still available, so you can go back. Uh, we've all recently just listened to that July preview again and what in fairness what comes out of that particularly for you two nick and joe is that you pretty much nailed that you were doing so So well well. until i asked you at the end of the show about what you thought your (laughs) biggest surprises were (laughs) and you had offs that made made Roman Grosjean in the first race in bahrain's accident look like a minor dent in a in a Supermarket parking. I'd love to disagree with you, John. And the program ran about an hour, and I was listening to it in the car. And we, and we, great for fifty-seven and, minutes. And we got there fifty-four minutes in. The only thing that the pair of us had got wrong was we didn't realise Ferrari going to be quite so bad. Yeah. But no one really. Got, we knew they were going to be as good mm. as last year. And we were literally acing everything. I got the top three in the right order, acing everything. And then you said. What's going to be your biggest surprise of the year, Nick? And I said, Vettel's going to wipe the floor with Leclerc. And Joe, you sure? Well, actually, the biggest surprise that turned out to be my biggest surprise is how bad Orcon actually was, because I thought he would absolutely blitz Ricardo. So there and we go. that didn't happen, did no. it? No. So, but apart from that, but the other thing I actually picked up, John, from that, um, second preview is firstly, you know, we, we ended up with a season that ran the whole 17 events. And also, actually, behind this... What a monumental season for Formula One it's been. Yeah, Because there's been so much structurally changed in how Formula One's going to run over the next four or five years. You know, the, the Concord Agreement, or whatever they're calling it now, was re-signed. Teams we thought were, had no more loyalty to the series and were going to leave, like Haas and Renault are still there, perhaps with a different name for Renault. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the cost cap's come in, it's been reduced, it's been agreed, and now they're talking about reducing the cost of the top personnel. And... You know, it, it, it was, it, it, I would I would say this has probably been 
the most significant season for Formula One since 1994? I think it was a fantastic achievement just to put a race series on in this year's climate. It's fantastic. I, my and heart that, goes and that's really is where, that is really where we should start because yeah. Nick makes a very good point there, Joe, in that we started with, at the start, I think it was six or seven and then it went to eight and yeah. then it went to nine or 10 or 11 and eventually we did get the full 17. But that came much later on. We knew what they were aiming for. It was eight to be a championship. Yeah, they had to get eight to be a championship. And they were pretty confident they could, they could couple eight together in Europe. And then they, they would have two or three in the Middle East. Because obviously the Middle East, A, wasn't experiencing such a bad COVID situation. And B, they're very good at making bubbles there because of the way they run the countries. Yeah. So that was the thing. They kind of thought they'd get eight to 11. Yeah. Um, and the eight, and, and but you know, it would include two Austrias, two Silversons to, to, to make sure we got the numbers up. Well, well, I thought that was in itself quite innovative to think that Formula One would be as flexible as they have seen to be this year and run consecutive Grand Prix, consecutive weekends at the same venue. Yeah, they should have done more of that I, and, not, and that... not gone to the circuits that were unsuitable, like Mugello and Imola. Those, oh, but I think that in itself showed a little bit of broader thinking going to Mugello Mugello's a fantastic circuit it's and very dangerous well, let's not talk about oh there's a lack of overtaking opportunities the character of Mugello is, is quite unique do you think that they would have gone to Mugello and to Imola if Grosjean had had his accident before that yeah 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 yeah. I, 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 I thought it, I thought that was for me that was the thing that stood out is that when you've got Silverstone that isn't safe anymore for these cars, that going to places that are so outdated like Mugello but and Imola, I, it, it was. I thought it was actually board, um, borderline, well, let, let, borderline uh, irresponsible. Well, let's not forget, right, that we're at motorsport we can never make totally no, no, safe. Absolutely. It's a dangerous. It's a dangerous occupation. And let's not forget that Grosjean was probably quite responsible for that accident and his lack of peripheral vision or awareness was probably the main cause of that accident, nothing else. Mm. When a car hits a barrier at that unabated speed, it's a bit of a disaster. And I think congratulations to the FIA and the people who have designed in the safety features of these cars because... You know, not so. What two, three but years Joe, ago? That, accident, that driver wouldn't have survived. Look at look at Kvyat's accident at Silverstone, um, where it was a failure, and it pitched him into the barriers, and he oh, went that's in. The same with Lance Stroll in uh, Mugello. And Mugello yeah. as well. It's they, a failure. They, they were very, very, and also the one at the top of the hill at Mugello as well. And I can't remember who it was that went in there across the gravel, across the tiny little gravel track. Was that a breakage? Or was that a tap? No, I think that was it. Oh no, I think that might have just been drop a wheel off and then snap back. The other way. I, I mean, I've seen I've seen more gravel in in somebody's <laughs> front garden um, on a terraced street with direct <laughs> access to the footpath. Um, anyway, let, let's put let's put no, that. Just, just, I think I think you've raised the point. I think I, um, I I don't disagree with your basic concept that F1 is too fast for a number of the tracks, and F1 will be slower this year and it'll be slower again. Um, so next year and slow again the year after so we, that, that, that is being done however I have to say I do think seeing these new and returning circuits has really enlivened the season and given it extra it's, it's, it's a pity that the Istanbul circuit despite producing a fantastic race didn't produce the fantastic driving because the, the tarmac was laid too too soon too late too sorry late. but personally Mugello was a fantastic weekend a fantastic race and I, 
totally, you know, again, it was, it, the problems that were caused, Michelle, were caused, I think, by officialing with the, the, the start of the accident. Imola, well, yeah. It was caused by the drivers. By Imola, basically, look, Imola looked great. Imola always looked great, but it proved to itself it's not very good for F1 race anymore. Portimao, unmitigated success. Portimao, for me, was the big success of the year. No surprise there. And I, I, I like to see Nürburgring back. It's a good track to race on Nürburgring. Yeah, great. It's a good racing track. Yeah. Um, so yeah, those ones we weren't expecting, which we got, and to me, they all produced Port- decent Portimao, events. Portimao, let's not forget, was designed for Formula One, but it was designed for Formula One in a different era. Yeah, it's still quite a quick era. But but uh, yeah, well, that was <laughs> going to be my point. Mm. It was also designed for MotoGP. It hosted MotoGP for the first time. Both of those. And now they're going back. Out, outstanding. MotoGP will definitely go back because it was first reserve. We had. More fans at Portimao than I've seen. At, in fact, I think you could add up the attendances of every event that's ever happened at Portimao <laughs> since it opened, <laughs> and it wouldn't match the... I think they may have had a Renault day once, because they, they, they're free to get and they get lots of people there. Yeah, it, they it's been they, terrible. The Portuguese have always loved their F1. They've always been... I mean, you know, Portuguese... I thought that was great. I also think, one of the classics. I know this isn't exactly the subject for this particular mm-hmm. uh, broadcast, but they will get that reserve slot. That's currently in the calendar. I to love Port- Vietnam. I, I love oh, Portimao. It's, it's, there's no doubt in my mind that that's 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 a done deal. Mm. So, and, and, and you so know what? Expect, so book your flights to Faro now. Mm. Absolutely, it's not a bad location no, in the no, world I'd, as well. I'd, I'd have gone there. But but getting back to uh, Nick mentioned Istanbul and the track surface. Everybody's on the same track surface. That in itself, for me, let's have a few more dubious track surfaces <laughs> to mix things up. It's like when we add water, isn't it? Uh, for me, the, the thing challenge is, though, is there Joe, for is everyone. Istanbul doesn't need mixing up because it's actually a really, really it's good a track, track you can race on. So I couldn't agree with you more. Mm. Please, let's let's have some sort of weird amount of global warming. Have rain at Abu Dhabi, for goodness sake. Something at Abu Dhabi. But well, We did that last year at Dubai for our race. And that, that is true. Yeah, that was ridiculous. Let's keep away from that. Uh, Abu Dhabi... Um, produced exactly the race that we all expected, uh, mm. which was dull as ditch water. Um, thank goodness it didn't have to uh, sort out the title. Uh, this year, we're going to do things in exactly the opposite to, as it's 2020, exactly the opposite to Any what we it should be, then. normally do. Um, and we'll start at the front of the field with mm-hmm. uh, the Mercedes uh, team uh, and drivers. The Mercedes Bossed it all, as I think we all thought they would. 573 points uh, for the uh, team. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, 347. Valtteri Bottas in second uh, on 223, albeit only a handful of points ahead of Max Verstappen. We'll talk about those guys uh, in uh, in a moment. Uh, Mercedes-Benz, uh, your team of the year and our midweek motorsport uh Listeners agreed with you uh, on that. They were wrong, of course, because it was the United Autosports competing in <laughs> many different, uh, many different uh, disciplines. And also, pretty easy to be the team of the year when you've got the best team, the best engine, the best driver, and you know what you're doing, except for one race. When they didn't have the same... Well, two up. races. True. Which was the other one that you're thinking of, Tim? The one that followed, the one that you're thinking of. Well, the bar- Bahrain... When they messed up the pit stop with Russell, Sakir, and then Abu Dhabi. No, Abu Dhabi just there's reasons. We talked about Abu Dhabi. The reasons for that. Um, yeah, I think I think the surprise really was last year we had a three three cars, two of them legal, one of them not, who were able to do well at various circuits. You know, the Red Bull had their special circuits; they always do. Um, Ferrari were great on power circuits because they were cheating. 
Um, and, you know, Mercedes, again, were best at most circuits. The, yeah. the interesting thing really was the step forward that Mercedes took coming into this year. And obviously, we found out later that Toto Wolff said when they didn't realise Ferrari were cheating, they'd absolutely burnt the midnight oil at uh, Brixworth to just try and ease every extra power, half horsepower out of the engine and, the, and of course, the hybrid system. And that, I think, is interesting. I think that came back to bite them towards the end of the season. Uh, it was so so intense that they actually managed to to lose Andy Cowell, who was the uh, head of high performance development, because I think the, the pressure kind of told. Um, so they, they they hit the ground with a fantastic car, and. Conveniently starting the season halfway through, they didn't need to have the ramp up for, with Lewis. He hit the ground after all right, a stutter for a week, so it took him six days to get going. Uh, and from which point he was imperious and effectively won 11. He, don't forget, he missed one race with COVID. We missed two, really, because he wasn't really back in full, full effect for Abu Dhabi. So, you know, of the 17 races, he only took part in 60, he was only fit for 15, he won 11 of them. Of those he didn't win, uh, he didn't win Austria when he had a penalty for a yellow flag infringement in FP1. He didn't win in the 70th anniversary Grand Prix because the tyres turned to chewing gum, but he still managed to do a significantly better job than his teammate had the same problem. He didn't win Italy because the team called him into the pits when they were shut. I'm not saying whose fault it was, but that's what happened. And he didn't win in Russia because he made a mistake or the team made a mistake and he did, and he did practice starts. Um, so effectively, he was only actually beaten on the road once. Sorry, twice, both by Max Verstappen. Once the 70th anniversary Grand Prix on tyres, and secondly, in the last race of the season, absolutely on merit. When he was ill. No, no, it's still on merit, because Red, yeah, Bull, yeah, had, Red Bull had the I, best I car. Agree. It's totally on merit. I think the only thing the difference would be if, if Lewis hadn't been ill is he would have been second. second yeah. He may even have got it on pole, but we would have, we would have had a fight until Max undercut him in one. Yes. Um, but, so, you've got... You, 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 you think, look at perfect seasons. As far as driving performances are concerned, yes, there have been mistakes... Um, not read the rules mainly. That's a perfect season. Then you come to his teammate, who is so decried. Well, that's, Valtteri that's, Bottas. Well, let's let's give Joe a, a shot at uh, at Valtteri. Um, <laughs> he's the perfect number two. He he's helped develop the car. He doesn't cause any uh, trouble in the team, and he's picked up uh, enough points to give them a huge gap, uh, two hundred and sixty points over over the third of uh, the second place team. What as for me is. It's been a kind of an unknown quantity because we just don't know how good or how bad he is because we, we've always pitched him against Lewis Hamilton, who is arguably the finest driver at the moment, arguably in history. Um, that's not what to go into now. Um, he's the most successful uh, driver in history. We can see yeah, that but in he's terms one, of his Well, wins. he's one of the best. He's certainly the best in his era, isn't he? Um, yeah. In my view, he's outstanding. In the way, you know, the, his tyre management... Or lack thereof on wets that went turned into slicks as he drove them and making the, that decision on the hoof proves that. But Bottas, for me, I think the question mark disappeared when he was pitched against George Russell, a driver that uh, didn't fit the car properly, was getting to grips with the different uh, systems on the car. All right, he's a Mercedes test driver and been in the sim, etc. But it's not the same as being actually physically in the car. And I just think, I think he should have outshone. George Russell, uh, in the way that George Russell outshone him, and for me that was the questions answered for Still Bottas. Finished ahead of him. For me, Bottas is the perfect number two mm -hmm. because he's just he's on the pace, he's got good pace, but he just hasn't quite got that to challenge the number one. 
Tim. And that's what we saw at the Sakir Grand Prix. He was playing the number two role, and George yep. Russell came in and became the number one. Yep. Don't disagree with that. Well, that shouldn't have uh, happened, should it, really? Well, that no, shouldn't it, have uh, happened. He was given a freebie. It was a freebie for George. I actually think they I'll be honest, and although that this hasn't been admitted, but it's been hinted at, certainly by some people that I've talked to, um, they expect George expected and Toto, who effectively looks after George, he's one of Toto's boys, isn't he? Um, I'm not sure if he's actually got a management contact with Toto. He has, yeah. Um, I think they expected George in for two races. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was it, it, the fact about it is, if we, and that was a freebie. Just get yeah. on with it, son. Well, if we look at we look at Valtteri Bottas. Valtteri, if we look at the the number twos in the teams, um, um, yeah, we'll start the show. Is Valtteri Bottas a better number two than Alex Albon? Yes. Is he a better number two than Sebastian yes. Vettel? Is he a better number two than Lance Stroll? Yes. Is he a better number two than Nicholas Latifi? Yes. Is he a better number? The only one, the only team which has got a better pair, of, I think it's a better number two than Ocon as well. The only team I can think of which doesn't have a better number two is McLaren because both their drivers are bloody are on the same level and maximising that car. Both of them are very good number twos. Exactly. Two or, or one, we'll find out. We'll yes. find out if Saints is number two or number one. I, the only one I disagree two. with you on there is Vettel. I do rid Vettel. But he's I rubbish this year. He, he was. His head wasn't there. His head wasn't there. Hang on. No, he's still not there. But <laughs> I think I think the Russell thing's really interesting because it, it obviously it started a million memes anyone can drive a, uh, drive a, a Mercedes and win. But but think, clearly, hang on, clearly they can't because he didn't. No, but that was it. He nearly did. But he, he, he would have done. But the fact, he would have done. But he yeah, didn't. Absolutely. But no, but the fact about it is, is that this is where this argument happens. But oh, anyone can be, anyone can be Lewis Hamilton if you're in the Mercedes. But what, what, for a start, what we know that Valtteri Bottas can't be. But it's actually the reason Mercedes have managed to win seven world championships in a row is about the fact that they are by far the best team probably F1 has ever seen. You know, you might argue about the um, the Northern European run with, with Ferrari in 2000 and that sort of thing. But mm. the fact is that everyone's working together. And where does the overall direction for that car come from? It comes from the driver, the star driver, the man who's pushing the, the, the envelope. As, it was, as was said this year, he is the guy who, who forced them to think about what to do with the rear suspension so the car could rotate better. Yeah. So he's constantly pushing it on. But, but here's the other thing as well, and I think Valtteri is underappreciated by most people outside of Mercedes, if I'm honest. Uh, they, Valtteri was battling for second in the championship, so he did have something to lose. George didn't. Hmm. The, the championship, in terms of the Constructors' Championship, was won. So that wasn't what was the issue. What was at issue was intensely personal for Valtteri. So Valtteri had something to lose. George didn't. I'd, I'd, I and by the way, George, if, if that car is so easy to drive and anybody can drive it like Hamilton, why wasn't George three-tenths of a second ahead of Bottas all the time? Because that's what Hamilton is normally. Well, I think, yeah, the, the point about it is, is the, the Hamilton's range of talents are completely underappreciated by um, the casual observer because they're things you can't see. And one of the things he is demonstrably better than Valteria is tyre management. Yes. Which is so key within modern, well, pretty Formula One. Yeah. Now, obviously, when we had Bridgestone Formula One, he just went hell for leather. He's bloody good at that as well. But he has got the tyre management down, and that's why you, know, you sit there. Valtteri's leading. We're getting towards the end of the stint. You think, well, it doesn't, he's going to get past him now by either going long or going short and just running the tyres either way. Joe? 
I've, I kind of disagree with you. I think uh, a driver coming into the team into that car on a one-off, he should have been he should have been hanging on to your shirt tails. But Bottas should have had Russell behind him. He should have been off Bottas's pace. He shouldn't have been able to get. Uh, he shouldn't have been able to race quicker than Bottas. Bottas has been in the car for I, I don't know how many, how many seasons, and and Russell just stepped up, stepped in the car, and was on the pace. All right, he was three tenths off where perhaps Hamilton was, and you would perhaps, you know, all right, I'll give him that. But that was a one-off race. He just stepped in that that. He turned up on the morning, jumped in the car, and went out. But we don't know how hard. Quickest in FP one, FP two, and he didn't go quickest in FP three because he was trying stuff out. I, I just don't think we know how hard Valtteri was actually trying, or how hard he was being told to try. Um, wait, wait, surely they've been trying flat let, out. No, let me finish. They were in engine trouble at the end of the season. They were in engine trouble at the end of the season, which caught up with them. Certainly in the last race, they had all of their engines were on. Uh, their last legs, which is what cost them the last race in Abu Dhabi. I go back to what I said about Valtteri challenging for second place. He'd just seen his main challenger for second place fall off on turn four in the first corner. The last thing he needed to do was not finish. The last thing he needed to bag as many points as he could. Didn't need, He doesn't need to beat Russell. It's nice for the, the story is the kid what, doing well. What exactly was the points deficit going into that race between second and third? It was pretty tight. But it was only, it was only um, nine at the end, yeah. and, and Verstappen gained eight. So it was 17 going to the last race. It was about 14 going to that race. Bottas would not have been racing thinking about that. He'd have been oh, absolutely on it. I, I, I have to be I'm, I'm with Joe. I think he, he, he realises that what's happened here is he's effectively signed his resignation letter. Yeah, because he, he should have been on it. Because for 2022... Given the, as we now all expect, now we've had the big Mercedes announcement about the reorganisation of the team. Toto's back for three more years. Ineos own a third. Mercedes own a third. Toto owns a third. And then we're going to get, and, and, and I then think we're going to get Lewis signed for three more years as a final contract. Valtteri will be out next year and George will be in. What, because for 21? Thing, for 22. 22, Because right. the other thing that's also been proven is that the great, the great hope for Mercedes is George and not Ocon. Yeah, absolutely. Which is yeah. oddly yeah, was yeah, proven much. by, you know, we, we all thought, oh, it might go the other way, but yeah. it's been completely proven this year. I mean, I think the thing, point you raised, uh, John, was interesting, that we, we talked about how they pushed the the envelope with the engine, but it obviously came back to button. And then, and then you know, it was the MG UK that was the issue towards the end, and, they were, and, and I think they underplayed how much the problems are, because MG UK is such an incredibly integral part of the uh, the hybridisation. It's not just a bit that sits on the side with a, with, with a funny acronym. It, it is what provides you with 160 horsepower. And if you start turning it down, that means you're getting less horsepower or you're getting less duration. So you are you know, majorly affected. If you think what happened to Ferrari in losing 60 horsepower between this year, last year and this year, mm, absolutely. if you think about if you lose 20 or 30 horsepower because you can't you know, hybridisation. Now, interesting, of course, that I was thinking about it, and this goes right back to pre-season testing. Pre-season testing now having MG UK issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, rightly said, they were, they were going ping all over the place towards the end of the season, mm-hmm. particularly, unfortunately, for Racing Point, who had a number of them go. Um, so you know, this, this gives them something to work on over the, week, over the winter to, 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 to beef up that particular part of the unit. But again, that's, that's what they'll do. They'll come back and point me three times better than they've been before. I'll nip over to, uh, to Bricksworth and uh, see what they're throwing out the back. Um, <laughs> you know, and the other thing, going straight to Racing Point. The other really interesting thing, I think, about Mercedes, it shows the confidence they have and also their, their forward thinking. When they made the fabulous start, they haven't bought any developments to the car since Spa. 
No. They haven't done anything with the car. Are we going to see any development through 21? I mean, why would you spend a fortune on development to for, for it to be thrown in the skip at the end of 21? Well, that's the same as the last year of any regulations. And well, people, people want to win the yeah, that's what I mean. We're going to but see pretty much what we're going to that There's a change in the regulations for next year. Yes. We're straying dangerously onto preview rather than review here, which includes a new floor, different tyre compounds, which are very interesting because nobody liked them at any stage oh, when they tried them durable, this year. Durable, John. They're, they're going for durability. Oh, really? Which, made, which meant they were heavier. Which meant the suspension wasn't set up for them. Right. Okay. So great, basically, the cars are getting heavier that, again. Just, just what we need: tyres that last longer. But um, the key, the key thing for Mercedes is that they're not allowed to use DAS next year. Mm-hmm. Is it, yeah, is it a key thing? Key. I don't think it got used as much. Uh, two two things. It didn't get used as much as you would think it would do. It got used a lot in Hungary. It got used for warm-up for... It got used when the climate was cold. Yeah, they're using the warm-up for... Well, you know, it's going to be a standard season this time, so we're not going to be racing in Port and, and, and Turkey in November and December. So, yeah. uh, also, they are, don't forget, by taking it off, they will get an advantage in weight distribution. Hmm. Because sure. there was weight was up high to, to run the the DAS. I mean, we're talking about minutiae of advantages, but nothing yeah. nothing in this world is all negative or all positive. No negative, uh, positive. I don't think. We're oh, yeah, again, we're moving into yeah. review and rather than just, uh, preview just, rather than review. Yeah, just to finish off on um, Mercedes and, and and specifically Lewis Hamilton. Um, I think Lewis Hamilton put in his best season. Um, I think he also you know did that despite. You know, distracting himself with his um, active uh, activization in, in in various other off-track um, environments, which I personally, I know it's very divisive. I personally respect him for, but that's each each to his own. Um, and I definitely think that we should stop whinging about him and actually start realizing you're seeing someone at the top of their game, which is very very rare. How often do you someone see someone who's that good? No, you know, this might be the, this might be his his summit, or he may carry on going up. Well, for the next and, two and or three you years. always get there's always areas where you get great competition and then there's another area where you get no competition and a single driver dominates I think this year there was less competition for Lewis than any other time yes um, uh, for a variety of reasons not least of which that the 17 Grand Prix that we did have we didn't go to a lot of Red Bull circuits so we didn't go to Mexico for example where they're always Monaco. strong Monaco etc so do I think that would have made a difference in the final standings uh, no uh, absolutely not but Lewis had the ability to control the championship from the start. He did it. You can't knock him for that. You can, how many times have you heard us say you can only race who's there? There was not very many times when he had to race anybody and had to really work hard. It, yeah, listen, this is easy. I, I'm not saying that not driving, that driving a Formula 1 car is easy. Of course it isn't. But what I'm saying is, in relative terms, Joe, that this wasn't the most difficult of his seasons, but it was... Ironically, I think one of his best, but he did it without an awful lot of competition. I think I think people are quick to um, forget that that driver is actually pressing the pedals, turning the steering wheel, no, activating the buttons, do pressing, that, do, doing whatever they do, managing the systems, every lap, every corner, every every round, and the human element. We saw the human element and how quickly it can all go to rats with the Mercedes pit stop. And that, that's how on the edge and that was Formula a One thing. is. That, that was, was a sim- simple thing. Like tire, tire. If it wasn't for the left-hand front tyre guy, who actually Bottas was the first person well. who noticed, yeah. he was the guy who brought it all to a halt, which cost them the, the, which cost them yeah, dearly. And, and Bottas could have won that race if they put the right tyres on him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. 
and and so could George, of course. That would have been a great battle to the finish uh, with those two cars. If if Bottas's tyres weren't already going around the track with with George, yes, then, you know, that's right. He, that, that was yeah. the issue. But what, getting getting back to your question, and that was a simple. By the way, just to finish off on that, that was a simple thing of a radio transmission coming across mm-hmm. the guys talking in the paddock. Yeah. So yeah. ha- so what do you do from that? Right, we've le- we're going to learn now that we're going to split split the radio communications. Yeah. So that well, when a yes. driver talks, it doesn't kill everything else. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm sure the system's out there. But getting back to the, the question about how Hamilton has deserved of the championship, he is a great, there's no question. And what we saw this season, all right, might not have been the, the, the most competitive season for him to see competition and challenging him. Uh, in such a way, and maybe he, he, he only himself had the championship to lose, but we didn't see that. We saw him, you know, shine. We saw him be the great driver he is in all aspects of the job. And, and when he'd already won it, he won five on the spin. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so he did, didn't make yeah, yeah. the same mistake as he had done in the in the past when he took his. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I would say, Nick, why this was such a good well, year for yeah, him. I think he didn't give away the momentum. Also, I think that the last time he was severely challenged by a teammate, which was 2016, uh, when Rosberg won the championship, reliability, whatever, no asterisks in the record books, Rosberg won the championship. Mm-hmm. He is a significantly better driver now than he was then. I thought he, he, I thought he put a pretty good season together. He basically, I mean, the reason for that, and this is one of the reasons why you go, is Valtteri Bottas actually that bad? No. Or is Valtteri Bottas actually as good as Nico Rosberg? But Hamilton has, just, Hamilton has moved on mm. so much in those four seasons. Look, the, the intensity of that 16 championship caused Nico to retire. He thought to himself, I, don't need to I be doing can't that do again. that again. No, I don't want to be doing I that I don't again. want to have to do that again. And I'm going to retire. And I think it's scarred Mercedes to not for, want it happened again for, either. Well, <laughs> uh, that's a very good point. And what you have seen since then is stability and, for the most part, relative quiet, Nick, mm. from Brackley, from, from Mercedes-Benz Petronas. And um, that is in no small part due to what Valtteri brings to it. He doesn't kick up a fuss. He, very rarely throws his toys out the pl- pram. We've seen a few little furrowed brows from him. Um, I, I, I'm, contra- I, I'm controversial, it, perhaps, saying this. I think in a straight fight, Valtteri, in the same equipment, I think Valtteri's a better driver than Verstappen. And in a championship terms, no. he's a much better he's a much better prospect no. than Verstappen for a championship because Verstappen's a spoiled brat. No. And, he, he, and until he gets that out of his system, and let's be honest, he's driven... Over a hundred Grand Prix now. Six years, isn't it? Yeah. Or was it seven years? Six yeah. Years. He's not. He's not the child. He's not the child prodigy. But he, he was, still acts he? like it. He's a mature. He's a mature Formula One driver. He's not a mature he's, Formula One I, driver. He's still a child, uh, and he still acts like a child until he gets out of that. I think he's that's never going to win a championship. I, I think that's the ultra competitive instinct that he has that makes him uh, as volatile well, we, uh, as he is. Well, we'll talk about that. In a useful minute. segue, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. it is. Very. <laughs> Let's very go much. to Red Bull Racing Honda as they were this year. Three hundred nineteen points. So again. 100 and plenty points ahead of McLaren, who came in third. Yeah, but 250 Ma- behind the winners. Exactly. Uh, and that mainly down to the sec- their second driver, Alex Albon, who you've got to go down to seventh position uh, for the London-born Thai driver. 105 points tied with uh, Carlos Sainz, but on count back, finishes in seventh position. Obviously, they're better dri- the better of the two drivers finishes third uh, with just a, an eight-point 
Do you want to rephrase that, John? What? The better of the two drivers. Don't you mean the more favoured of the two drivers? Well, well, mm, the better finishing. That, aren't sorry, we? the better finishing of the two drivers in terms of their uh, of their point scoring. Third position in the championship for uh, Max Verstappen, uh, um, and again, a hundred points nigh on ahead of anything. So that you know, big big gaps here. Uh, Nick brings up an interesting point there, then Joe. Uh, Verstappen. It is Team Verstappen, isn't it? It's Team Joss. Yeah. It's Team Max. Uh, he is the Wunderkind still. He still can't do any wrong. No matter what he does, no matter what name-calling he does, what uh, bad attitude he has, he never gets pulled up for it. He never gets dragged to one side for it. He has everything his own way. And frankly, I wouldn't want to be his teammate, no matter no. Who, I, who I am I, and how good I think I am. I wouldn't want to be either. And the question uh, about Red Bull is, are they able to put two cars of equal competitiveness on the track at any given time? It's not whether they're able to. Do they want to? Or do they? And um, we've seen that. I've seen this, uh, my sort of involvement with junior teams and such like, where you have, um, there's a certain team had a certain superstar and all the other customer drivers into that team were, (laughs) that's the setup. That's the setup that makes that driver go quick. You have to adjust your driving to get did to you, that standard. Did you hear the interview with Ringer van der Sander that we had on Midweek Motorsport no, a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about being in British F3? Right. And he was told, he was absolutely told, he was not allowed to finish in front of the other driver. Oh, really? So if he was leading and the other driver was fourth, he had to drop back behind him and promote the other driver. Wow. Was he, he wasn't a paid driver then. He was. Uh, he the, the other driver was paying the, the, for Ringer's season. All right, there you go. Um, well, that's the politics of the sport. that we And it never changes. But the, the, my, my point is, they, they, they're creating that Red Bull in the same way with a, with, a dual, uh, with, a, with a dual diffuser and Vettel getting his head around it. I think that team is steered towards Verstappen. And, and his optim- driving style. And optimising Verstappen. And it's clearly to the detriment of the other drivers because Alban was brought in and replaced Gasly, but Alban did exactly the same job as Gasly. Right, uh, Tim's got a, a question for Nick in a second, but I just want to see it. Well, my question actually would fit nicely off the back of Joe's point there. Because well, it is, we went all season without any driver changes in either Red Bull or Alpha Tauri. When was the last time that happened? Yeah, very good point. <laughs> oh, I don't know, about 2015, I think. The year when, when That year Verstappen was in the team. And it was uh, Verstappen and somebody, and it was uh, the, the other team was... Um, Kvyat and yeah. So Joe mentioned of... about setting the car up, having the philosophy of the car for Verstappen, right? Which you can kind of understand. Honda, in particular, have got previous for this because in MotoGP, they've got a bike that only one person can ride. And it has cost them so badly when that person can't ride it. Are, are we? I'm not saying that this is a Honda thing, necessarily, but is this a management thing whereby you've got a situation where it doesn't matter if you put in the second car, if they don't drive the same way as Verstappen, then they're not going to be able to drive it. Okay, I think there's, there's, there's three different things to unpack about this. There's the team management, there's the development of the car, and there's Max Verstappen himself. So I'm going to start with Max Verstappen himself first. Yeah. Max Verstappen is the real deal. He's an exceptionally good racing driver. He's probably on form, the second best racing driver in F1 at the moment. He delivers 
Of the 17 races, Midley had five non non finishes, of which three were mechanical and two were accidents. Neither the accident, well, one accident wasn't his fault in Mugello, the other one possibly was in Sakir. Um, but other than that, he he put every, in every other race, with the exception of Turkey, he puts the car the best it can be. He got the best possible result out of it, and sometimes because other people have made mistakes, mostly Valtteri Bottas, he put it above. So he is an exceptionally talented driver. And he has been fated since the age of, what, 15 in carts and 17 in racing. He is not a wonder kid, and he is not inexperienced. He's done six seasons in F1, which is more than many people get in their entire career. He has done 130 Grand Prix. How many races he won? Ten. Mm. Well, you know, that's so not So still bad, one behind. Still, uh, sorry, still three behind David Kilthard. Well, that, so he's not is, as good as David Kilthard. Well, that's, that, that'd be a worrying thing, wouldn't it? Um, but I think he's a very, very good driver. He's a very good qualifier. He's a very good racer. He seems to know what he's doing. But, you know, again, there are elements of immaturity in, in how he's treated. And, and to me, he exudes the problems you have when you get fame and adulation and people and yes men too young he's the same as a a pop star who no one says no to you know luckily being a top athlete he's not turning to drink and drugs but he's just but the fact is he he's he's overindulged and that Jensen Button went through it yeah he had a, he had a very dodgy six or eight months when he changed his contract 136 times he had a very dodgy about three years actually well yeah <laughs> Hamilton went through it yeah but Hamilton had a big struggle in 2011 yeah so I, I accept I accept but, that so unpack the rest of it but then. he's enabled by the team and, and oh, the, the biggest problem has been for me is that Red Bull effectively in 2016 when they kicked Danny Kivy out for no reason whatsoever nailed their colours to Max Verstappen as a guy who'd done to me, but he was going to be the future. So much so that they managed to eventually kick out Ricciardo. They'd already, Verstappen had already led to them losing Carlos Sainz because they felt they could never have Sainz and Verstappen in the team again. And that then led to the problems they've had with the second driver over the last couple of years. When, as soon as Ricciardo went, they had no one to replace him because they'd lost Sainz, they'd lost uh, a couple of others and they were choppy and changing. So their whole structure was wrong. But at no point... Do you ever hear Red Bull and Marco and Horner say they were wrong? No. They never say they're wrong. They never say Max was wrong, even when Max was completely out of order in Portimao mm -hmm. for his, his comments on the radio. And they never said he was wrong. They had a little word with him privately. No, they didn't, because he's enabled. They went, oh, just to, don't say it again, probably. And the enabling, that then put them down this hole that he is so great that the number two driver is rubbish because just because he is so great. Now, they finally come back off that, and we'll see what happens going mm. forward. Now, Sergio was signed this week. But they have struggled to put forward a, co a, you know, a coherent championship challenge because they've been driving one driver for three years. They've they tried to destroy the careers of two other drivers. They've Gasly's managed to just pick it back up slightly, but Albon's career now is probably completely gone. I can't see him getting back ever. Yeah. Um, and it's all because they don't have the ability to see past their star driver, which is exactly the same as from 2010 onwards with, with Fettel. They, they learned nothing from exactly from destroying Weber and making Weber into a... From, Weber was very, very good, but by the end, Weber was worse than a journeyman. Well, to, to the fact where Mark left the sport, not because he didn't have a drive, because he'd had enough of it yeah. and went to drive for Porsche. Um, Perez, I was going to say, I mean, you've got to give uh, Helmut Marko and 
Christian Horner there due, they've identified possibly the only other person on the grid who has got experience of being kicked out of a drive by his teammate's dad. <laughs> so he's actually a perfect fit, surely, Joe, for, uh, for Red Bull. I, I agree, but if you've got a young driver program that you're so proud of and you've got to step outside of that to fill the seat, then what does that tell you about your program? It's like having a bit. It's like, it's like having a junior football team, isn't it? Mm. If you, your players coming through, if the you're academy. bringing them through and then and then sending them off to League One instead of the Premiership, then it's not working, is it? Uh, what do Perez and Weber have in common, Tim? They are not Helmut Marco's drivers. Spot on. Spot but on. But Perez is now an accepted stopgap, um, and they'll always be hoping that. Yuki Sonoda turns out to be a real thing so they can push him in. But, but this is this is not the way to run a team. This is the whole point. They should have recognised in advance they're having problems with their with their, with their structure. Hey, what, it's the time of year for happen? opening Christmas crackers. So so let, let's let's do this and say would Red Bull have been in a better position then with Verstappen and even with themselves if they'd held on to Carlos Sainz? Or Danny. Or Danny. Danny left because he he could see that he that, yeah yes Danny got beaten in the second half 2017 18 whichever it was 18 wasn't it yeah he got he did get out, but at that point the team was already skewed so far across that even all the money in the world didn't make him want to drive for another year that's what makes me think it's no Mr Ricardo we're not going to give you that setup that you're asking for you've got to match this one it's happened to Gasly it's happened to Albon Albon's a superstar Albon through karting into the junior formula, was a superstar. It, the likes of Lando, Lando Norris has said that he had a poster of, uh, of Alban on his bedroom wall when he was a kid uh, because he was a superstar in karting. He's not a slouch. He's a, absolutely... Gets the one is a slouch. That's right, that's true. I totally advocate that. He's, uh, and unfortunately, we're going to see this kid kick to the, kick to the curbside. And it's a shame because he is a superstar. I want to talk about Danny Rick later on when we get down uh, uh, through... The uh, through the uh, championship table, uh, Tim. Sorry, we were talking at the same time there. What, what, what are you going to say about that? Sorry, my what, what's the plan at Red Bull when they realize that Yuki Tsunoda isn't going to be the next big thing? They'll just give Gasly, uh, they'll just give Perez another year, won't they? They'll extend him for another year. He's currently he's 30, he's well, got one going to need two years. I agree, but they don't give them two years. They, he won't get no, they don't give them two yeah. years. They admitted they put Gasly up a year too early, and look what happened. And then they put Boom Alba up of 12, after 12 races. It's like, uh, it really is very much like we've got our superstar car. Oh, we need what well, someone has to drive the second car as well. Barry, Barry from the warehouse, do you want to be an F1 driver? Okay, that'll do. Bung him in. Yeah, but he, he was from the Red Bull warehouse. That's so. true, the Red Bull so warehouse. So that was fine. It's yeah. fine. But yeah, do you think they're trying to find another Verstappen? They think they're forcing that issue. No, they don't want another Verstappen. That's no, the no, last what, thing that they want. No, no, but Christian Horner hasn't. What they want Christian is Horner hasn't got what they, what they want is a bot ass. That's exactly right, Tim. That's exactly what they want. They want a bot ass. They want somebody who was prepared to play that role, but will, and, occasion, but will occasionally outqualify their star driver and occasionally push him. Emerson occasionally. What what has Christian Horner and in fact the whole team management? It's not just Christian. I, I, it's, I don't. I, I think Christian actually particularly in the last 18 months has become a far more rounded person and a lot of mo more of what he said is actually worth listening to. But Christian Horner and the whole setup there with the, the spectre of Helmut Markwar sort of hovering above it, what they have proved time and time again that they can't do is they can't man-manage. They've got no idea of how to run the team. You cannot man-manage 
if one of your members, your staff, is untouchable. Correct. That you can't well, manage because you're always managing down from that untouchability. Correct. I think Markle's style of management is. You're rubbish, do better. You're rubbish, you'll do better. Well, if you tell your team they're rubbish, and I'd use a sterner word if I wasn't on air, if you tell your team they're rubbish, they will be rubbish. Instead, you know, diff- drivers are different. Some people could take a kicking. The other, another guy, you need to put an arm around him and, and coax him and coerce him and, and get inside of his head and, and, and treat him the way he needs to be treated. They're all bespoke. They're human beings. They don't operate the same way. Verstappen may, may operate with a kick up the butt. All right. So, well, he's had plenty of that from his father, hasn't he? Who's a, a, a not a very That's nice exactly person. What I mean, kind of. That's so, exactly what so I mean. that perhaps that is the only way. And in point of fact, you can draw parallels there to Lewis Hamilton in his early career with his father, who was also a, a bullying hard taskmaster. Hard taskmaster. Yeah. yeah, and I I've witnessed that firsthand. Um, all right, so Albon then. It's, you know. I, I, feel, I, I don't feel sorry for him because it's a results business and his results simply weren't good enough, were it, they? It was, it was really quite sad, actually, to see Albon looking like a wounded deer in the post-race conferences with his little wide-eyed smile and trying to make the best of it. Luckily, you couldn't see the smile because of the mask. His wide-eyed kind of, well, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do and, and the constant speculation and the constant... And the fact that it would be much, much kinder to have put him out of his misery... Eight races from the end, said, "Yep, yeah, Perez is in next year. Find rather yourself than, another job. Rather than, right. well, or, or, and you're going to be testing reserve driver. Fine. Now, now you know you're not doing it. Let's just move from there. But oh no, every race is going to be a final test, final test, final chance. And he wasn't reacting well to that. And again, I think that might be a Marco thing. I, did, I, did you believe it when when Christian Horner kept saying, um, you know, we're uh, we're supporting Alex as much as possible, and um, we're you know we." We know it's been tough for him, and we've got to get through to the end of the season, and, and, and. We know that it's Christian's like got no influence in at all on this, though. So. Exactly. It's like a vote of confidence for a football manager. Look, I look forward <laughs> to seeing I look forward to seeing Alban in the, in the Porsche hypercar in 23. Isn't that when Porsche comes back? Uh, well, it'll, I, it's an LMDH. I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him in a, in a United Autosport telling Peter next season. There's plenty, of, there's plenty of drivers who've been dropped who, who now are finally seeing some chance of a nice works drive elsewhere in, but yeah. they've got, they got to tread water for two years to well, get especially there. especially the cycling sports cars. Um, yeah, okay. so but, let's move on from no, no, Red hang Bull. On. We haven't done the Red Bull, we haven't done the car yet. <laughs> but, but, but let's just say the, they had a typical Red Bull season. They started with some hmm. problem, which they hadn't worked out what was wrong with it. They fixed the problem. They gradually improved the car because they did carry on improving it all the way through the season. And at the end of the season, they beat Mercedes. What is it which about? Which made absolutely nothing when we well, get the, back to Australia built, next year. They built three. They beat three quarters of a Mercedes. A Mercedes that was horribly down on power. Still beat it. They still. And in fact, over the last four races, they were the faster car. And Didn't have the results show for it, but they were over those four races. The, the, the faster the Mercedes and the faster the Red Bulls, they were the faster car on average. The big, the big, issue, amount, the, the big issue that they've got now is what they're going to be doing for an engine shortly. And that, yeah. it seems to me that they're well, not only their preferred option, but they've, you talked about nailing colours to masts earlier on. They have absolutely put it all in on getting Honda to agree to sign over the IP and have them run that as a rebranded engine. Yeah. And I, 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 I admire them for their chutzpah in doing that, but that's very dangerous if that doesn't happen because they're going to end up with a Renault again. <laughs> well, the thing is, that's another massive story which happened during the course of the season because Honda pulling back out again. 
Uh, Honda are very happy to sell them the IP or even give them the IP. They're very happy to do that. The only problem is that the, the team that's not really made friends with any other teams at the grid is now literally going cap in hand, asking them all to change the regulations moving forward for engine freeze and everything else. And then using the big stick, if you don't do that, we'll pull out. And everyone's thinking, well, if you pull out, it means we'll get two places higher and more cash. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, and more importantly, they're not, they're not going to pull not, out. not that big of a stick then, is it? They're, really? they're not, it's, it's a worry for F1. It's very for the... For FOM, it's not a worry for the teams. They don't care. Yeah, but Chase Carey's got out early before it's all like, this hit the fan. Like, well, my favourite quote, <laughs> se- quote of the season was um, when Carlos Sainz had an issue on, I think in Spa, Carlos Sainz couldn't start the race. And they went to Lando, so Lando, what do you think? Your, 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 your teammate can't start the race. With one place up. Yeah, of course. And that's what they think. One place up. It's um, the Piranha and, Club. It's and, if you don't, and if Red Bull and Alpha Tauri aren't there, everyone's going, well, worse, we can finish at eight. Yeah. Cash-tastic. It's not called the Piranha Club for nothing. No. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's going to be, a, I think a compromise will be reached mainly because all the teams want to reduce development costs on these engines, which are dead effectively by 25 or 26. And there'll be some sort of trade-off and they'll find a way of running the Honda engine to the back of 25. And it'll be, it'll be done, as always, in a fudge. And there'll be some whinging and they might be 10 horsepower down, but... They're carrying done. the same engine and drivetrain into the 22 season, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. So there, there is... There is a reason and to that's, continue developing. Yes, so, but la- next year is the is the advertised last year for Honda, correct? Yes. yes. So it's from twenty two onwards. Yeah. That there's, so we need to hear a deal for, f- coming forward pretty quickly. No, they, 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 they're saying the deal needs to be done long before the start of next season. Uh, uh, well, which is you know March feels like tomorrow, doesn't it? It's, it's that close. Days, well, except it won't start then. Well, at least if it doesn't. No, they've got. Super, they've already decided that one. Super. They have a super bubble there. They're going to take the bubble. They had the bubble before. I don't know how you oh. do that at the street circuit. I don't know. <laughs> well, the, the, there's a, there's a, I've been talking to some of our uh, listeners who are marshals in Australia, and the issue is going to be getting enough marshals. Um, What's well, a park? Mel- Mel- Melbourne's, anyway, that's, that's Melbourne's a park, isn't well, it? Well, that's true. That's, yeah, All right. Um, preview. Uh, what, uh, what I was going to say, what was I going to say now? I've, I've just distracted uh, <laughs> that was my, their idea. myself about uh, that. What were we talking about before that? Red Bull, about Red Bull and Honda and engines and where they're going to make them and who's going to make them. And it's his age, you know. Mm. Can't be that important. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Red Bull then uh, end up in second position. Um, I think the, the point that we were talking about with the car and, uh, and them turning it out and their drivers, they've still got work to do in getting, getting that atmosphere within the team uh, sorted out. Albon, um, he's, he's much better than a journeyman. Uh, he, he he's going to be without a drive in Formula One. Uh, you talked, Nick, about them ruining people's careers, and that wouldn't be well, the first I, person. I, I genuinely Bush. don't believe Albon will get another F1 drive because he'd be the same as Van Dorn. Van Dorn is, is was lost yeah, to a bad true. car, you know. And you you, you go okay, well yeah, you see, well, we, we've had we're going to pick up three rookies next year from F2. You're going to get Schwartzman come through, um, and a couple of others are looking pretty good. Story, how do you spell his name? Piastri. Piastri. And there's another couple. So, and there's people who are going to replace him, and they're going to yeah, go. Well, we'll, we'll have F3 these guys. We'll have these guys from F2 because they're cheap and they're, they they haven't got any baggage. So Piast- he's Piast- gone. Piastri is the young Australian guy who won F3 this That's year. It, yeah. he's, he's and Schwartzman's going to win F2 next year. Well, he has to. Well, and no, Piastri does in his first season. Mm. Uh, not, not unheard of. In fairness, uh, let's move on. To my vote for the most improved team. Um, so many of the last few years, too many years, when we get to this point, I say, ah, oh, McCarran can't possibly have. 
the horrible year that they had this year, it's got to be better for them next year. And it hasn't been until now. Although on 202 points, uh, they were only seven points ahead of uh, the Mercedes Junior team of racing points in fourth position. Uh, And they had fewer than half the points of uh, the winning team. Uh, Their best driver was the uh, one that they've sacked. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. The deal, by the way, for Perez was done in Abu Dhabi, because oh, yeah. the because the picture the decision that they wasn't used made the until release, the end of the season. The, the the picture that was used in the press release was in the W Hotel at the track. Yes. So it so so that was and that was of everybody together smiling and with a piece of paper. Um, so uh, I mean, all that photo yeah, proves is when the photo was taken. But yes, the deal wasn't done until the season was over. But it was done in Abu Dhabi. Yes. Um, Maybe during the young driver test. Possibly. The driver test. Um, <laughs> racing, racing points Perez then on 125. He was uh, six points ahead of Danny Rick uh, in uh, fifth position. Uh, there's been an awful lot spoken about racing point, or as I think it was Will Buxton coined, coined them, tracing point. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, yes, that, uh, that's but because we've on. got <laughs> the drivers. Uh, yes, we've drivers. got the drivers. So the best McLaren driver, yes, that's what I was working down to, thank you, was Carlos Sainz, uh, who they've lost for next year. They, I, I, I think Sainz is a very good driver. I think he's still underrated. Um, you may, he may be doing an Alonso uh, and with his career and moving from teams at the wrong time, and that's part of the game, of course. But you can't deny that that since uh, Zach Brown appointed his new team uh, principal, Andres Seidel, uh, who, of course, yes, was at Porsche, but before that, Nick, he ran BMW F1. Yeah, and he's, ma- he's made a he's made a difference. Yeah, I think the. Yeah, they, they've they've crawled their way back ninth to sixth to fourth to third. I think they are the team who you would say outside Mercedes maximised their result this year. I think they had two drivers who were both equally good on their day, and I think you could you could possibly say that Norris is slightly better on Saturday and Science is slightly better on Sunday. Uh, but there's very little in it, um, and they picked up the points where they could. They they got a little bit lost in mid-season when they started trying to do advanced developments for next season and they, they put some um, bits in the car that didn't work quite well but either end they were very strong they didn't make any obvious mistakes they they were on the Renault engine which means they were a little bit down on power but they maximised that however I'm not sure that it was really any performance advantage over last year when they were fourth if you don't forget there was a massive ball dropped by a big red team mm. um, which took them out of the of the so I think they, they would turn around and go yeah our car really wasn't any better overall but we completely maximised our results and as far as the two drivers were concerned Joe signs we mentioned in sixth position at ninth for Norris but in fairness it was so tight in those positions on downover that it was in fact only what eight points between the two drivers there is a team who put out two pretty evenly matched cars evenly matched drivers for the year and the advantage is they 
they get a decent team finish. Psychology plays a massive part in any form of motorsport and the psychology or lack of driver management that we've just spoke about in Red Bull is in complete contrast to the kind of psychology and driver management that we've seen at McLaren. The atmosphere in that team is has got such a momentum behind it and they're on the edge there. They're about to get Mercedes engines and if that momentum continues, I think we're going to see a McLaren Red Bull challenge. I'm not sure if they're going to challenge Mercedes next year, but this year we've seen that momentum continue like Nick mentioned and as far as the drivers are concerned, science must be putting his head in his hands and thinking, oh, my timing, I've, oh, I've, I've messed that one up, haven't I? Because the timing of his move to Ferrari couldn't be at a worse point. Norris has got Ricardo coming in. Ricardo, we're going to talk about in a moment. Norris, for me, is still the superstar I thought he was coming through the junior formula. I think he still can deliver. And I think, you know, the, the Hamilton's replacement as the quickest British driver. All right, I think he learned a big lesson in Formula 2 against Russell. But I think British Formula 1 motorsport has got a very rich future in what we're going to see Russell and Norris taking over the mantle of Hamilton. Uh, so Norris and Sainzi then performance wise Nick um, I think it all came down to very small margins I think I think Sainz was, was more unlucky um, he had more uh, failures I think Norris did that thing which you should never do in looking for contact which is start with your best results both his Austria races were spectacular including the one where he chased down the, the virtual Lewis to get within five seconds of him on the final lap to claim the place after Lewis had the penalty in, in the first race in Austria and interesting but I just looked at it between the two of them they got three fastest lap points two for Norris and one for Carlos I think it meant, meant they were the second most successful team with fastest lap points so they you know, they maximised that element I just feel it's a really really well run team I think also you know a team which has thrown off the shackles of the greyness of the Dennis and Whitmarsh era, a team that also has managed to get itself refinanced. It was struggling horrendously with money, being dragged down by the road cars, to be honest. Um, it, it, and even though they're owned by the Bahrainis, even the Bahrainis haven't got a bottomless pit of cash. So I think I'm pretty certain that um, Zach Brown's going to be sitting back thinking, I've had a blooming good year this year, you know, given the fact he's also United Auto Sports as well. Because I think, I think not only have they done a great job, They've set the foundations both financially mm. and, of course, with the Mercedes move, which might just pull them back a little bit next year because they've got to integrate an engine to a virtually very similar car, a different engine. They've really stuck all the foundations down for, for a really spectacular move forward in 2022. There, there is never an instant fix in Formula One. And when Zach Brown came into that organisation, he doesn't have a magic wand, but he's got some massive skills. And I think Zach's biggest skill is in the on the human side of things, yeah. uh, in the way that he identified uh, Andrea Seidel to come in and take over, the way that the the atmosphere is created within that team. I think it's all down to Zach Brown and the way that he's managed that. Uh, he still hasn't pulled the rabbit out of the hat in terms of getting the sponsor, which is what everybody expected him to do. But he's found some new money. Oh, it's it's cost them. 51% of the team. 33. 33% of the But team. interestingly, John, I was thinking about this because it was something that was raised in the preview a few months ago. If you look at that car, the McLaren car has more small stickers on yeah, it yeah, than yeah. anyone else. They've got a bit of splunk. They've got a bit of coat. They've got a bit of... Mo mo he has How long have they had the Coca-Cola on there, by the way? This year. 
It's a small one. It's only a, you know, a four by two. But it, he's, it, pop, he's it popped up. It popped up on the halo. Yeah, um, he's basically he's done little deals. He's done four race deals. He's maximised you know that small extra cash. He's not got what he wants, but we all want. He's a massive, great title sponsor. But he's they've they've become more. I mean, it, it, Realistically, it's a very attractive proposition with the great rapport between the two drivers, and that's going to continue next year. You can't see a Ricciardo Norris thing breaking down. Ah, well, I'll talk about that in, but, um, in a little while. But, yeah, no, I think McLaren, you know, will we'll sit there and go, yeah, we've done what we could do this year. We've, we've, we've re-energised the team. We've got our maximum result. We've got some money behind us. We're building the wind tunnel. We're building the um, in-loop uh, driver simulator. Yes, we've done all those things. Next year... Uh, might be an issue because we've got to in- incorporate the engine. That's going to cost a lot of tokens. We might be get left behind development. But hey, hope doesn't matter because the big one's 2022. So I think it's pretty performance. And they scrape ahead of Racing Point by seven points, uh, which netted them a few million quid. 12 million quid, I think, was the number that was being uh, thrown uh, around for that. Uh, Checo Perez uh, are in the best of their finishing spots on... Uh, 125 with Lance Stroll on 75, and they are in fourth position uh, in the championship. Nico Hulkenberg on 10. Hmm? Nico Hulkenberg on 10. Oh, yes, good point. Yeah, three <laughs> you drivers have to remember this year. There were 23 yeah. drivers in this uh, 20 car championship. That's true. Uh, yeah. But the interesting thing, I was thinking about this actually. I think that if you take away race reports, I believe there'd be more coverage of Racing Point than any other team this year. Because you start off with the tracing point, then you move. Copyright to, Will Buxton. Well then done, you Will. then you move to all the stuff about changing them to themselves to Aston Martin. Then you move to the whole thing about signing Sebastian Vettel. Then the whole thing about losing um, uh, Perez. Uh, where you go? Then of course two of them got coronavirus as well. Just about everything has been written. And then, of course, yeah, they, they, they they were coming up strong at the end. Then, of course, they had the whole it's, you know, the, the FIA, the loss of the 15 points, which did cost them that place in the end. Yeah. So it did cost them the 12 million um, euros or dollars. So I think they've had a, a, a fantastic, uh, if, if there's nothing as bad PR, they've had a fantastic season. Any, any publicity is good publicity mm. in, in that book. Uh, Perez, plenty been talked about him, hasn't there. A driver who comes with a sizable chunk of money which presumably he'll be able to hang on to a lot more of. Uh, now he's going to a team that doesn't it's need us. It'll be interesting to see what ends up on the car, won't it? Yeah. Which, but yeah. No, I mean, Perez had a, had a really, really good season. Obviously, it didn't look that way when it started and he got COVID in the, uh, for the second, for the th- third and fourth rounds. Um, but he has put in a fantastic season. He was stymied on a couple of extra podiums with, with um, MGUK. The first MGUK failures, both um, in Abu Dhabi and, of course, prior to that, the first the Bahraini races when he, he was nailed on for a podium in a couple of those. Uh, could have got a podium in Imola, but they they got the, the strategy wrong. He drove an incredibly solid season. Um, Lance Stroll is is an enigma. Lance Stroll, I think, is a very very good racing driver. He proved that by being so good in the wet. He has that terrible failing, which is in the mind. Those five inches between the ears are his problem. He take I think he takes on board too much the criticism about how he got the drive. Because for a paid driver, a billionaire's son, he absolutely deserves to be an F1. And he, but he needs to believe that. He well, I good. think there's a heck of a lot of pressure. And it was funny enough, I was going to mention that um, with, La- with Lance Stroll. Um, when, when that is the situation, and Nikita Mazepan um, will have the same issue next year at Haas, uh, the... 
the pressure that is on there from everybody else, never mind yourself, with you're under scrutiny, aren't you? You're massively under scrutiny. I do, I did part way through the season, and particularly when it became obvious that that Perez wasn't going to get that drive, even before Vettel was announced. I did detect a bit of Helmut Mark or Red Bullism coming in to Racing Point about the way they talked about the two drivers. Fabulous race today by Perez. You know, he's on the podium again, or he's won. Uh, yes, and didn't Lawrence? Uh, didn't Lance do great? Lance did a great job getting on the podium as well. Well, yes, he did, but we're talking about the guy who's just won the race for you. And, and you've just deflected from that straight away to the boss's son. And, and that is a worry. That is a worry for me. But I don't think Stroll is a well, bad driver, and, and I'm not sure whether he does or doesn't de- deserve, because saying, no, de- I... saying deserve is a tough thing to 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 rationalise in Formula what, One. But you keep calling him the boss's son, that... and you're sort of exacerbating the problem by saying that, because the yeah. boss he's isn't... He's son, I, I, He's not. I, Oscar oh, Schaffner sorry, the now is son. the... That... All right, son. okay, so he's the owner's son. That's exactly would, what I was going to say. Would Lance Stroll be in Formula One if his dad didn't own a team? Yes, he would. Uh, that's exactly what I was going to say. And you, and you, John, exactly what Tim said. You, you exacerbate the, the issue, I think, with his head. And for me, Lance Stroll has that look of desperation. And I'm, I'm sure he feels that... The, the perception is that he's only in that seat because his dad has bought the team. And what he needs to do is stop thinking about stop thinking about it too much. Mm. Just do the job. Just focus on what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And there's so much desperation. You see it in his driving. You see it in his overtaking. You see it that he, you know, he, he's not thinking about the car in front. He's thinking about five cars in front. He's thinking about, he's thinking about the press release afterwards. And he's thinking a bit, yeah, all of that pressure. He yeah, needs to I, believe I, in himself. When I say the boss's son or the owner's son, whether or not I believe that, it doesn't matter. And, it, and it's not me exacerbating the problem, Tim. It's Lance, because that's what's in his head, and that's what we're seeing. It doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. It matters what what he, he thinks, Joe, and how he deals well, with that additional pressure. It's very hard. She can't take it away unless his dad sells the team. Get away from the bull is what I tell young kids. Get away from the bull. Stop thinking about, oh, he's got this tyre, or he's got that, and look at his pretty helmet. Stop, and it's the same for Lance Stroll. Forget about the bull. Forget about the fact that you don't deserve to be that because that's what everybody's saying on social media and stuff. Stay away from social media. Focus on the job in hand. You are a very quick, talented young man. Nobody can put a car on pole position in Formula One and be a rubbish driver. No, 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 no. In the way. Agreed. You've got to be good. And he would have a drive in Formula One, but he wouldn't have that drive. Potentially not. No. So, but now, I do want to ask one question, though, before we leave Racing Point. Is Checo Perez, all the way through everything, said... Um, whatever happens, I'm back in 2022. I've got an option for 2022, and I know I'm going to be back. Where was he coming back Williams. to in 22? Williams. 100%. To replace? Russell. Right. Who's going to Mercedes? To replace Hamilton. No. Next year. No. Because Hamilton's going to pack in. Hamilton's signing a three-year contract over the next couple of weeks. So yeah. Hamilton's not going to get that elusive eighth world championship and retire. <laughs> No, because he wants to have a go on the new cars. You think so? Of course he does. He's a, mm. he's a racer. I know he is. I know he is. What's interesting, I think uh, Hamilton has, has taken on his activism. He's found he can do activism and racing. And the, one of the things about the contract is effectively saying to him, I just want to do that. 
I'm not going to Malaysia to do a Petronas shake handy thing. I'm not doing that. He's doing the same thing. I'm trying. Who was it? Who also? I think Raikkonen in one of his contracts. It was Kimi, yes. He wanted yeah. less money. He didn't mind about the money. He just wanted to do nothing outside racing. Now, mm. Hamilton wants to do nothing outside his his personal interests, which are activism, fashion, and racing. And he's going to say, right, you're happy to do that, but you've got to take all the PR off me. And let's be honest about this. The change of ownership, which is now third Mercedes, third Toto, third Ineos, who don't care, that's going to be, they can also, they can go tick now and that's fine and that's what will happen. He'll have a contract where he'll do very little PA stuff outside the weekends. It's very interesting that Ineos should be um, jumping in when their car is running a BMW drivetrain. Yeah, but Ineos are be, get, becoming a conglomerate of sports franchises. Stuff. Just that's it. That, that, that is going to be the buzzword for the next couple of years: franchise. Because Liberty want all the teams to be described as franchises. Mm. Um, in a very American way. Yeah, and yeah. Mercedes are doing this, this multi-buy is the first franchise. They're chuffed that Renault are calling Alpine. It's the Alpine fra- showing how a franchise can change its name. Yeah. And of course, the point about it is, is theoretically, there's two there's two vacant franchises, but that's been shuffled under the table. So if you want to come in, you have to buy an existing team or pay the other teams, don't remember, for a new franchise. The, um, what, what is going to be very interesting if it follows uh, other sports with franchise is uh, when Mercedes decide to move from Brackley uh, and go to to Slough instead. Or, or Las Vegas, where everyone goes. Yes, ex- exactly. <laughs> exactly. Or well, Las Vegas Mercedes is okay, fantastic. Uh, you're listening to the 2020 FIA Formula One Review, Radio Show Limited, special programme, Nick Damon, Joe Bradley, Tim Gray and me, John Hindorf. Let's move down to fifth position. Renault for its final season uh, in the uh, yellow and black colours of the Renault Works. Their best driver was Danny Rick in fifth position, 119 points for him, six points behind fourth. Uh, and their second driver uh, was uh, Esteban Ocon, who had 62 points. Add them together, they had 180 one point still ahead of Ferrari, though. <laughs> uh, Renault, worst engine uh, on the uh, grid. Not much in it now. Do you think not? Well, the Ferrari's the worst engine this year, anyway, but there's not much in it anyway. Right, okay. I, I think fuel economy and drivability are more important these days, and I think that's still where Mercedes is best. All right, uh, let's let's talk about the drivers first on yep. this. Joe Ocon, the man that you expected <laughs> to do so much. He was going to be your biggest surprise, and the biggest surprise for Ocon is he was in 12th place in the Drivers' Championship and only got 62 points. Well, that year off didn't do me. He sent you a note, said thanks very much for that. Yeah, yeah, I've obviously hexed his season, didn't I? <laughs> um, I, I honestly... Uh, stood by my conviction back in July and really did expect a lot more of him because he's a better driver than 12th place and he's a better driver than what we've seen in comparison to his teammate Danny Rick. Um, And I just think that, you know what, that, that he lost the momentum of what he was doing and how he was going about his business with that year off out of racing. And he just, for me, I'm going to, I'm going to really, you know, throw the, roll the dice here. I would like to think with a fresh approach to a different teammate to maybe, I think the team's going to remain as it is, just have a different name, different colour. Um, I would like to think Ocon will be a lot more competitive in, and we'll see him closer, if not quicker, than Carlos Sainz. Uh, not Carlos Sainz, who's going to... Uh, Some Alonso. Like Alonso. Alonso, yeah, yeah <laughs> of course. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Uh, uh, Esteban Ocon. Just disappointing. Mm. 
I think I think I think it's interesting. Some some drivers can take it. The problem is a year off now is not like a year off thirty years, twenty years ago. Because a year off twenty years ago meant you were testing Jerez every other week. Um, and with such limited testing, it's not even like we didn't even have those two half days or last year they used to have. It's really hard because you're stuck in a simulator and you're you're standing at the back with the garage. And and because F1's a bit silly, they don't even let them go and do, you know, a couple of LMS races or a Super Formula race just to keep the hand in. It's like there's kind of a snobbishness which they really need to get over. Some people react to it well. Some people don't. Ocon, perhaps with the extra five month, four months of doing nothing just looked out of sorts. He was a little bit better towards the end. He lucked into the podium, which should do his, his, his confidence some good. But he wasn't... Then he went to Abu Dhabi, he wasn't as good again. And you kind of go... But, you know, hey, he's not... By this, he's not as good as Danny Rick. That doesn't mean he's bad. Yeah, absolutely. Right, Danny Rick. Um, again, perhaps a little controversy from me here. Danny Rick in the car. Uh, you know what you're going to get with him. He's going to give... Of his best reminds me a bit of Alonso in that respect because he'll often get more out of the car than the car has to give. He'll he'll pick it up and throw it at corners. Now that does sometimes mean that he doesn't get to the finish. Does sometimes mean that there's uh, bits and pieces out of the car and in front of the cameras. He's the smiley Danny Rick who's always having a bit of a joke. And yet, discuss this: the last three teams that he has left, he has left under a cloud. I think he's a tough character to... He's, I, he doesn't strike me as a team player at all. And I wonder, when we were talking about him going to McLaren uh, for next year, where they've got everything so nicely sorted, and all of a sudden, this big rock is going to be dropped into the middle of the pool and push that out. You never hear Danny Rick leaving a team and them all slapping him on the back. It's always either very quiet or there's some acrimony. And I'm not sure McLaren need that kind of nonsense when for next year and where they are. It's it's a good point. He's got a disruptive influence yes. wherever he goes. But like Alan Prost did. Alan Prost was very similar in that he disrupted wherever he went. Um, I, I, again, we're, we're turning into a preview show, but I'd like to think that McLaren are able to manage that. He's a fierce competitor, no oh, doubt yes, about yes. it. And, and he's Australian, so he said he calls he calls a it a spear to shovel. Yeah, absolutely. Normally with and, another word in front of it. But us. he is fiercely, fiercely competitive, and he will not he will not care one iota about leaving his competitor, his teammate, in his wake. Tim, the decision uh, or the announcement of uh, that Carlos Sainz was leaving McLaren so early this year has affected this because I think if that announcement had come later McLaren wouldn't have signed Ricardo they'd have signed someone else interesting who uh, well Perez to start with I don't think Pe- I don't think they would have took P- Perez back they, they nearly ruined Perez in the first it's place it's a completely different team in fairness I, I don't, I don't, there's I don't. one person in the management who was there in 2013 yeah. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go against this because I actually think if we were having this conversation in July, when him and Cyril Abitable had a big row about him leaving, you'd have gone, "Yeah, he's he's that's all." But I, I'm not. I haven't got a lot of time for Cyril. To be honest. I think he's massively underachieved in his job. But I do think the way that they rebuilt he's been promoted above his ability, the way they rebuilt that relationship over the year from zero when he said he was leaving, and silly, nasty, snappy messages 
to actually provide a very functional relationship. Right, we've got it bore me to death with the two thing, but they're obviously getting on a personal level. They rebuilt that relationship for the good of the team moving forward, and I actually thought that was incredibly a plus point for both of them. Is Danny Rick number one driver, team leader, material though? Is he that much of a team? Player. Well, because that's what he—that's what he's going to McLaren for. I think he—I no think he it. led the. He's obviously been the team leader at uh, Renault, and they have improved throughout the season, so that's normally good. Okay. He was—he, he, you know, he was in the wrong seat at Red Bull, as we discussed, <laughs> and decided to leave um, because he just—he could see the way it was going. Now, you know, do you push against it? But he decided to leave for the cash. I mean, I don't believe he could have thought that Renault were going to do much better than they did, to be honest. He could. He didn't like what happened in the first year. He wasn't at the time. He decided to go to McLaren. Renault were rumbling about pulling out. Yes, true. So you can see the logic behind his his combat his moves. However, absolutely smiling assassin. You know, we, we, you never fall for this. This you know, it's, it's, it's lovely smart. Cool, lovely smart. Never trust the smile of a crocodile. You know, it's fine. And there's nothing against that. I mean, you you, you haven't got to be lovely in F one. It's the piranha polis, George. I think that the, I do think that. He can be managed and nurtured by McLaren, and I also think that for all his youthful, smiley, you know, oh, I'm Lando, I'm Lando, I'm Lando Norris. I don't think Norris will get affected by uh, him. That Lando Norris is exactly the same sort of character. He's happy, smiley, but he's a vicious competitor. Hmm. And ask anybody who's two, tried to push into the pit wall in uh, his yeah. junior <laughs> career. Two very similar characters. They're gonna have a great. They're gonna have a great time off track, on track different kettle of fish put the visor down different personalities i can't say the bromance that we had between uh, no- I, norris I, I, norris and sciencey this year i absolutely can yeah. yeah i absolutely can because those two guys their personalities allow them to be the, the happy jolly character that they are off track but on track vicious competitors uh let's move to the sixth place team uh, Ferrari are the uh, longest running competitor in formula one's 70 year history which is of course we celebrated uh, seven or eight times uh it would and this, seem this year and this was their worst finish uh, for 40 years yeah so you see matt match you see and so but i so thought it was their worst us, finish ever so no no they've been worse than it worse since 1980 so tell us about the 1980 season joe <laughs> well the 1980 season followed a championship winning season yeah. in 79 and it and should I have been another championship winning season because they kept the same drivers they did, but the, what happened was Mario teams no, teams moved on with I their car, the and their car with the flat 12 wasn't ideal to the ground effect uh, Venturi cars of 1980, and teams moved on with that, and the aerodynamics of the underfloor, the industry with the Venturi and the uh, the sliding skirts uh, suited the Cosworth DFV and much better. But they'd run that and flat was 12. And Schechter was phoning it in because he won the championship. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't really interested. And he in wanted to stay alive. But, but William, they'd William run that flat 12 for the second half of the 79 season, which they won, where you won the title. So Yeah, in 79, though, there was a really weird point situation. Whilst everyone was still sorting out their Lotus 79 clones, they racked up a load of points on Ferrari. You could only score in four races in each half of the season in 79. So even when Williams came back with a massive amount of scoring with the, all the wins when they brought out the FW07, which of course started at Silverstone. They couldn't ever catch up because they had a maximum score of 36. Can you imagine if they did something like that now and how the commentary team's heads would explode? 
It would, that's just phenomenal. Let's not talk about the commentary teacher. start shouting. And, and actually, I knew the answers to both of those questions and was just doing this so that uh, the audience would get the same appreciation. Because someone said to me that um, Ferrari's problem started um, when they lost Marcione. And actually, I think Ferrari's problem started at the end of 1979 and they have <laughs> never been a... <laughs> Uh, a competitive team since. I can't help thinking it was what? a period from 2000 to 2006 where they kept doing yeah. a thing called winning the championship. Yes, but that um, wasn't with Ferrari, was it? No, and that's a very good it point that Tim uh, is making. Yeah, uh, he's was, sort of burying the lead there because that was a Northern European yeah, it, Ferrari. I always feel difficult saying Northern European because it sounds like we're being superior being Northern European. And we're European, both from South Africa. South Africa and France. Well, it was based in the UK. All yeah. the design team were based in the UK. But I mean, I think and isolated from the rest of the team. I think that possibly, given that Arif Abeni, um was a bit of a hard man, and Mattia Binotto is a much more personable man, I can't help feeling that the root of their search for the exploitation of the grey area in motive force is more likely to have happened under Arvabeni than Mattia Binotto. And the whole point about this season Ferrari was it was a year where effectively they were the you know, they were the, the, the fallen woman being paraded through the village in the stocks having tomatoes and cabbage thrown at them for a whole year for a, for a crime they committed in the past. And it was quite amusing for a while to see them suffer because they had cheated so awfully and and you know, and, and they were and the worst the only thing I have against them is they never owned up to it. They always said, "Oh, we never, we never caught them." It was, it was, no, you cheated. You cheated. You know that nobody in who has a Formula One pass, press pass, is allowed to say yeah, that, that. Well, because, and they've been told that if they do, it'll be pulled from them. Yeah. Because, and I quote, because this was told to me by somebody who has got an F one pass, press pass, who was that? Uh, then? Um, they, that uh, they, the the FIA's briefing was that they were pretty certain that they were. Cheating outside the regulations was the the uh, was the yeah, nomenclature, yeah, yeah. but they couldn't definitively prove it. Yeah, it's been into '94 all over again. Yeah, but yeah. luckily this time didn't set fire to anybody. No, um, no indeed. You know, underperforming I, I, year for Ferrari, well, who had a, a power unit for uh, by their own hand. You can't blame anybody else. This wasn't a regs change. It wasn't anything else. They had to change the way the power unit worked halfway through, three quarters of the way through last year, and they were still suffering from that this year because the fundamental design... No, what happened was, John, that they actually came off their high during the regulations which, which, which came out to the back end of last year, but that engine was still fine. It just wasn't better than Mercedes. It went back to being parity. Yeah. Then, over the winter, with this unwritten un unpublished agreement some of the other things they were doing weren't allowed correct they had to then they, they were left then with an engine designed to work in with a different within a different set of parameters thank you excellent way of putting it which they then couldn't build a new one in time for had to carry over and they'd lost 65 70 horsepower and that's just what it was. And then, of course, they designed a in car. In a car that was designed design. around having 70 it, horsepower not, more. This is the key point to remember is it wasn't what happened in the second half of the season that caused the problems. Because if they'd known in August they were, then they could have 
re- had enough time to actually design the car based on what they knew or the engine. Now, this is the other thing. So if they'd known they were going to be found out and had the sanctions and, and had all their clever bits taken off uh, and their grey area bits mm. taken off mm-hmm. to be diplomatic, let's say that. Yeah, yeah. Even if they'd, they'd known re- that uh, there's going to be a massive pandemic and the season wouldn't start till July. Well, uh, yes, exactly. They would have been able to redesign or at least revisit the philosophy of the car, which was a high downforce car. Uh, high drag car. High drag, yeah. uh, drag's not an issue if you've got loads of horsepower because yeah. it's, it's a downforce drag ratio. But if you have a, if you lose 60 horsepower, it's like, oh, I'm going a bit slow everywhere yeah. or uh, on well, any power rated circuit. You've got, to get, you've got to get rid of that drag and that has a knock-on effect and knock on the balance yeah. of the car. Yeah. I mean, that is why I think that they, 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 they yeah, there is... Again, just just for for a bit of a Philip for Ferrari fans is that they have a lot of low hanging fruit for their changes next year. So they, they will they will they will they will be the most improved team next year just because they'll be catching back up to 2019. So, not only did they have that issue with the authorities uh, and the unpublished sanctions that were taken against them and clarity given to them about what they could and couldn't do with their uh, internal combustion engine, we also had the situation whereby they couldn't come to an agreement with Sebastian Vettel. Uh, Well, and I was about to say, it depends on which side of the story. Either um, they didn't want to come to an agreement or no agreement could be brokered. The upshot of it was that uh, the negotiations hadn't gone well uh, and there was no contract offered at the start of the season. So a lame duck season for Vettel... um, any phoned it in. 33 points. That's got to be his worst season oh, as well. Yeah. 13th in the championship. Mm. Um, and, and for me, no matter what happens, I think it, we've always said this about Vettel, though, haven't we? Um, that he's all right when everything's going all right for him. And when it isn't, it really isn't. It, it, he seems to have been uh, across the years. This year, his head wasn't in it. I actually thought that we I would have seen... I didn't think he'd do the full season. I, I thought, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought he'd retire. I thought it had a much deeper, there was a much deeper reasoning behind his loss of form. I thought, you know, he's a family man, he's got a young family, he's achieved a lot in his career, and why not? Why not just put your feet up, mate, you know? And I was very surprised to see him continue into next year. As Tim's just put on our chat here, do you think Sebastian Vettel would describe Matea... Uh, Binotto as personable. I don't think. I don't think he described anyone in the team as personable. There were a couple of races this issue, and they obviously clearly forgotten about him. Um, <laughs> Barcelona was extraordinary. Uh, you know, I think. I think it's it's a weird thing because of the pandemic. The season didn't start in March; it started in July, and all this uh, drive merry-go-round happened in May. So they would have had four or five races. You know, with him thinking he was in the team, they would have known what was going on. They made the decision. I'm pretty sure they made. The, they, they'd already signed signs before they fired Fettel so they knew what they, what they wanted to do they're very confident with Leclerc and you know there's two ways you can take that you can say right I'm going to prove you wrong or you can say I'm going to fail and take the check and, and Fettel went for B and I think there was an element of that in the car was terrible and not only was it terrible and uncompetitive but also it wasn't really handling the way he wanted it and it's interesting the one race where he lit up and was it was enjoying the whole thing was the Turkish Grand Prix when no one had any grip and he had a chance to prove his class and they say form it is true form is temporary and class is permanent but you have to actually activate that class which he bothered doing once out of 17 races now you know i'm sure that was a worry for his his future pay master aston martin but you know you, you do think well probably he can fire it back up again when was that deal done and did that have a, a, a 
a bearing, do you think, on Sebastian? Well, given the fact that Aston Martin, you know, took over and everyone started buying shares, including Mr. S. Vettel Esquire, um, I assume it was probably done, you know, not far off. He's bought shares in Aston Martin Lagonda. In in yeah. uh, Lawrence Stroll by yeah, the because the whole thing there's no the, the F1 team's not divided it's not divided out of the car company is it it's all part of the same thing well uh, and um, for people who don't follow the uh, financial presses Lawrence Stroll headed a uh, uh, Lance Dad headed up a consortium that that bought Aston Martin Lagonda effectively bailed it out um or not bailed it out actually they they put a capital injection yeah, into uh, it more importantly. Ten percent is now owned by AMG. Well, and that will gradually creep up forever. There'd always been uh, uh, five. Uh, um, been five a, a percentage since correct. they started using the four liter V8. It's been a five. It's now correct. a ten. Um, and then, having bought those uh, that slice of Aston Martin, or the majority of Aston Martin Lagonda, the car company, um, <laughs> also it al- it also invested in what is now Racing Point, um, and there and then. He very cleverly started going about selling off great chunks of Aston Martin Lagonda to Toto Wolff and Sebastian Vettel. <laughs> it's quite important that Toto Wolff owns a part of Aston Martin Lagonda and not the race team, because that means he can own the race team, which is Mercedes. Because don't forget, when he went for Mercedes, he had to sell his Williams shares. That's right. That is a very good point. But he doesn't own the racing team. He owns a bit of Aston Martin Lagonda that happens to have a racing team. Very good. I, I like that. Um, so Vettel phoned it in. Leclerc. Uh, overdrove. Yeah, do you know what? He was brilliant. Let me get it wrong. He was he was brilliant at times in qualifying. He was brilliant in races, and he got that car. He scruffed the neck it to places it shouldn't be, but he also scruffed the neck it into people. He had three first lap accidents, which were all his fault. Uh, two of which wiped out cars. One, uh, all of them, which, which wiped out other cars. One of which he got away with. The other two wiped him out as well. And that's three out of seventeen. Is a large amount for a top driver to cock up. I I I just. I love him to bits, and you know, new generation, all of that hype that that all of the inward-looking Formula One um, press likes to belt about every year. And, of course, you know we'll already be talking about how the last race of the season proves that Red Bull is going to be a true championship contender 100%. next year. Yeah, we, we, know, we know all those headlines are coming out because <laughs> just sitting in your preview and going, Mercedes, Lewis, again, very short. So don't have to write very many words for that. That's <laughs> what you should preview should be for next year. Leclerc, the thing that, that, that troubles me about Leclerc, Joe. Um, in a sport where... And, and, and I, I, I understand that we've talked a lot about people who aren't prepared to put their hands up and, and say, we made an error, whether it's teams or drivers. I think Leclerc's too much the other way. I hate this massive introspection and beating himself up that he does when he's on social media saying, oh, I've let everybody down, I've let Italy down, I've let the universe down, I've let God down, you know, I I think he's got to get out of that. Now, he says, in fairness to him, he does say, I get that out of my system and then it's gone. Yeah. But I'm not sure I want him to be doing that publicly. Yeah, but he's not being truthful with himself and he he clearly has to be. Uh, There's one word to describe Leclerc this year and that's desperation. Another desperation. Another another desperate drive. But there was clear desperation in his driving. He knew he had to get the job done in the first lap and get up the field. You saw that. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Um, he is a true talent. I'd like to think there's potential in him becoming a true great in the sport. It's the, the potential is there. This year, because of the uncompetitiveness of the car, I think we saw 
a side to him where he knew he had to over deliver and he or you should say deliver and in doing so in trying to achieve that he overdrove like Nick said he was just desperate in every way they needed to think this year both the drivers all right take Vettel out because he, he wasn't that interested uh he had checked out. And, and even the times when he hadn't and he was trying to do something the team weren't listening to him on the radio anyway which <laughs> <a good> point. <laughs> which, which, which i found extraordinary i think ferrari and and leclerc in in particular this year nick had to change their mindset knowing what they knew they had to think like a midfield team and pick up the points where they could and they didn't do that I, well i think Charles did on the whole he had a very good run in the middle of the season um Eight six seven four five four, for example, in the in, 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 going across most of the new races, and I think Charles probably, given the you know he did some fantastic qualifying, got a couple of podiums. You know, he if you think about Charles, Charles got a hundred and got near on a hundred points. Yeah. If Fettel got near on a hundred points as well, they probably would have been fourth. Yes. Correct. You know, and it's more Fettel's failure than than, than anything else. But Ferrari seem to be once again in disarray and obviously there's been a major change in the last couple of weeks that again is not going to help things with um uh, john is it elkin who's, who's john elkin, elkin who, who is retired. actually boss of ferrari has, has retired which is going to put no 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 john elkin has no, taken so, the whole thing so over who, who retired? Sorry, the other guy the other guy who was sorry it's gone he's retired and that's going to give him more instability and you do feel that mattia benito benito that's interesting but also uh, uh I don't have confidence that he can take them forward as he needs to. I mean, yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll improve next year because, uh, you know, in the word of Yaz, the only way is up. Uh, Tim Greer. I agree with everything that Nick said, but Except. I want to add that finishing ahead of Fettel this year wasn't enough for Leclerc. He had to finish a long way ahead of Fettel, and that's what he was trying to do. Well, and, and, and Leclerc finished behind... Uh, behind Albon, uh, which I'm sure um, he wouldn't have thought, Joe, was was what he was looking at this year. No, I've, 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 Leclerc is a driver that's capable of winning a world championship in the right set of circumstances. This year, unfortunately for him, the timing... Once Lewis Hamilton the, the timing, absolutely. Well, maybe. That would be nice to see. But the timing was all was, was put askew by the uh, by the situation that we've already described with regards to the power unit. And Leclerc, as a driver, is exactly the same Charles Leclerc who was winning races last season. And he will continue, put him in the right set of circumstances. He will deliver. And yes, like I said, there was a desperation, as, and I agree with Tim. He knew, forget, forget Vettel. He wasn't really having any focus whatsoever on Vettel. He was looking at the people he needed to beat, who were the McLarens and the Red Bulls. And forget the Mercedes. He, didn't, he knew he didn't have a chance. <laughs> of exactly, exactly. Uh, Nick, the retirement of um, Louis Camilleri... Um, uh, which was the name we were. We, we couldn't get. Yeah, thank you, we, thank you, Google. We were, we were all straight. But is is significant in more the the reason of him leaving the executive of of Ferrari of the sporting side of Ferrari because he's also left um, Philip Morris, yep. the the cigarette company, who still put a lot of money. Into still Ferrari. own all the all the paper. They they own all every square inch of Ferrari sponsorship is owned by Philip Morris, and they then resell it to. Shell and is it Hublot their watch company yeah um, yeah I mean I think he was a massive fan of F1 and a massive supporter of the F1 push um, 
another interesting about Ferrari, so just because just this came out, I, I was really interested. You, you know, there was a, um, Simon Dresta was moved to Haas towards the back end of the year. Yeah. Do you know why that is? Because they they are seconding their employees to get this down to, the, to get down to get down the wage, wage cap. So to get down to the budget cap, they are now seconding their 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 top uh, engineers to their two satellite teams. So, so they haven't got to fire them because that was their big worry about the cost cap was having to let people go. The other, and this is the other reason why wow. this is interesting because they get somebody in there who's got a slightly more um, wider view of motorsport. They have a lot of people they need to employ in motorsport and I can think of a quite good place for them to go. Well, there's two places they could go. I don't believe they're going to Formula E so there's the other place they could go. Which is LMDH. Yeah, whichever version though. But, uh, LMDH. Yeah, because they, they, cause that's, th- that's their big problem is letting people go. To make the cost cap, they've got to lose, is it 280 people or 320 people? And they, that's what they're against. And now they're thinking, oh, we can second a few over to our two supporting teams and find a new project for the others, which is also great because, of course, they can then cleverly cross-fertilise between two projects and no one notice to get back into your thing about how do you actually um, you know, manage a cost cap. Yeah, there's there's um, some very interesting comments in our uh, prototype uh, panel show talking about LMDH and LMH um, about Ferrari and it, it comes from uh, an area that might be thought of as being somewhat surprising mm-hmm. another manufacturer talking about them and uh, the thing is, 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 is the three and also yeah. when you think about of all the people who's talked about LMDH at the moment nobody's talked about having a Delara chassis yet yeah Oh, really? Interesting. Mm. Uh, you have to think that the three big teams have a, a big job to do to downsize without firing people. None of them want to fire anybody. No, because they don't want them to go anywhere else. Well, more importantly, they don't, it's, it's terrible PR. Mm. And so if they can reallocate them, and it's obviously it's easier for Ferrari and Mercedes to do that than Red Bull, they will. The last of the teams that scored more than 100 points is in seventh position. The bottom... Uh, three teams were either pointless or didn't get into double figures. So Alfa Taurine, Honda, <laughs> um, which I can't believe I hadn't thought of that before oh, no, until relatively recently. You've, you've waited the whole year for that gag. I, I know, <laughs> and, and, and I can't believe I didn't see that earlier on. It was only when I was writing it in a, uh, in something to Nick um, a week or so ago that I realised... I thought it was pronounced Towery. No, Taurine. Alpha, Alpha Tauri. You know why it's it Taurine? It spoils it, though. That, you know why it's Taurine? No. Because that is the active ingredient that's in that's, Red Bull. That's stuff that gives you the ah, bugs, yeah, of course which you're is, not yeah. allowed to sell in several yes, countries. It's basically a bit dodgy. So, Alpha Taurine, <laughs> uh, Honda Power, 106 points. Uh, their best driver was uh, uh, Gasly, uh, Gasly uh, in 10th position with 75. That's quite a lot of the... Uh, the points. Uh, Kvyat got 32. Yep. Um, that's 107. Yes, all right. Um, the, your, it was you that was talking about Gasly, wasn't no, it? it was Joe loves Gasly. Uh, it was Joe. Joe loves Gasly. He won a Grand Prix. He can do the job. He can deliver. He always right. has been able to. You don't want a Formula 2 championship and not being able to run at the front of Formula 1. Um, that's why it's called, you know, that's why it's a feeder formula. Uh, for me, he did what, you know, he overperformed. He, um, the results were better than perhaps the car, uh, where the car should have been. Uh, he did that consistently. He ran at the front end of the field when he really had no right to be where he was on many occasions. 
uh, for me, he's the real deal. Kvyat, Nick. Um, yeah, another enig- enigmatic racer. Obviously, um, had his first session where he had a year in Toro Rosso, then a year at the big team, then got kicked out for Max, and that absolutely blew his head. Um, came back, and he's done a very solid couple of years. A, a very interesting um, thing I read, I think it was from Gary Anderson, or one, of the, one of the elements there, in that he had a kind of a, a real uptick towards the second half of the season, certainly in relation to his performances against Gasly, and that was because they worked very heavily on the Red Bull-supplied steering system because Kvyat couldn't get any feel out of the front end which has been said to have been an issue that Albon's had as well in the way the Red Bull steering system is set up it's not giving them the feed they want to and don't forget these steering systems are incredibly complex these days because they're not just going left and right don't forget they have as you turn on more lock it'll change the ride height for the cars now they try and they bring the cars as you get more lock they bring them down to give them more front downforce it's kind of a um you know because you're turning the lock on you need more steering it will give you more front downforce but if you can't feel what's going on because you know, then what you know, this is where you have these and issues. it's all electric as well of course yeah it's, no, it's hydraulic it's hydraulic it's hydraulic because they've got that system but it's it's not called active ride no, because it's, it's it's entirely mechanical. Is it? It's entirely right. mechanical yeah. systems. You turn it, it pulls the it down. And to, the yeah, and, and this is uh, this is the difference between having a six hundred quid uh, sim <laughs> steering wheel and, yeah, and your thirty five quid one from Poundland. Yeah, I think I think clearly, it's indicative clearly. really of if if, if you, however good a driver you are, if you end up as the less important person in the team, you can find it hard to get things changed on your car to suit your not even style. Just your mm. methodology of your how mm. you want to how, how you want the touch points to feel. Mm-hmm. Will Will Alpha Tauri Tauri um, from Taurus, mm-hmm. which is where it comes from from the uh, the star system. Um, so, it's will the there be Latin word for bull, of course? Yes, mm. exactly. Um, and you know, taurine is called taurine because it came from the bile ducts of ox. Correct. Absolutely right. Jeez. Uh, then the original stuff doesn't Lovely. look or taste anything like the fizzy Australian, uh, Austrian, well. um, highly marketed version. Um, does taste like uh, ox medicine. bile, though. It does taste like oh. medicine, mm, unfortunately. Mm. I've had it. My favourite. Um, will will Alpha Tauri, um, will they be disappointed, you think, to have a third of the points of, of Red Bull Honda? They won a race. Yeah, so they won a race. But they're a junior team, a B mm. team. They won a race. Should they not have been better, though, given that they've got the same no. equipment? No, they haven't got the same equipment. Because don't forget the cars, whilst they, they have the same amount of carryover as Racing Point have from Mercedes. So it's last year's rear end, last year's mm. front end, some... some tra- yeah. And if you look at the car, it looks... All right, the cars all look very similar, but it certainly isn't a clone of last year's Red Bull. They've got their own uh, aerodynamic surfaces. Um, you know, they, they were at the bottom of the midfield... However, there is a sort of yawning chasm between them and the next teams. You kind of feel okay, you know. I think I think yeah, they were a little bit off the pace. Um, I think they had an inconsistency issue. They didn't mm. put it together week by week. But their good weeks were great. They won a race. <laughs> they're know. competing with the three teams behind them, not the three in front of them. Well, they absolutely. Well, I think the three teams I think that them. they. I think you're right, Tim. I think so. For that, they had the, a really successful season. And I think that's why that. that um, Christian was going, they're not the B team, they're the sister team. They're not the junior team, they're the sister mm. team. Because they're just bigging them up. I think at the same point that the Red Bull have some issues. But they, they're, they're trying to big them up. But they will forever be you know, nibbling at the, the works teams above them. My biggest uh, disappointment of the year was Alfa Romeo racing. Um, 
but however, the Ferrari engine was the, yeah. uh, seemed to be even more of an issue uh, for that car. Raikkonen on four points, uh, Giovinazzi on four points, eight points for the team. So that is a huge gap up to Alpha Tauri. Uh, I. I know Nick isn't a big fan of, of Reichen, and I am. I, I still think he's got something to to give. Um, the cars look great. They just didn't get in the points enough. Yeah, I think both Alfa Romeo and Haas were horrendously stymied by what they were being delivered from Maranello. If, you, if you're buying a customer do think, engine... Do you think Ferrari were, were so fixated on the works team that, that actually what was going out the door for the customer teams no, no, were... cause, cause, but effectively what they've got is the same engine as, as the works team this year they didn't have the same engine last year because no. they, had, they had the legal version which was still pretty good they had the legal version um, but they also were missing a vast amount of horsepower. you think where they are if you gave them the 30 or 40 horsepower they should have had even with relatively shonky aero it means that they would have probably scored 40 or 50 points because they would have, those tenths would have become eighths and those ninths would become sevenths when they had the chance to do it. So they've both been very much shortchanged by it. Because they, because you, you know, but effectively, you've got a car, you give it 40 more horsepower, that's free performance. Mm. Yeah. Because you don't think, you know, you know, there's no evidence that the Ferrari is particularly economical in its new form either. So, yeah, but I think Alfa Romeo, I mean, Alfa Romeo, you reap what you sow and they've, they've been very, very, very conservative uh, in their driver choice. They've been quite conservative how they run. They're prepared to happy to have a driver who'll, who'll be particularly good for three races out of 17, and that's fine. Giovinazzi's all over the shop, and they've well, retained them both, so they get what they deserve, as far as I'm concerned. Giovinazzi, surely, has to be the luckiest man in Formula 1, with all of the talent coming through from F2, particularly all of the Ferrari Academy but, talent coming through. Surely Giovinazzi's got to be the luckiest man to hold on to his job after or, this year. Or how big is the check he's writing? I don't know. I mean, remember Alfa Romeo Racing, they haven't got the might of Fiat behind them. That's a commercial sponsorship deal in that team. It's not a works Alfa Romeo team, and is it? Everyone says next year is the last year of the Alfa deal. So in well, 2022, it's like they'll be Sauber again. Yeah. And therefore Giovinazzi... Uh -uh. And, and Kimi Raikkonen, I think, also out and Sauber will find two drivers, either who bring a budget or who they who they believe in for that year. I love I love Raikkonen. I know we haven't I, I haven't had a, a pitching on on Raikkonen. Raikkonen, you know, there's lots of been lots of opinion about Raikkonen just being there for the money this year. We saw the kind of the kind of way that he races. The way he's a true racer. He's there for the racing, not the money. The money's just a nice aside for him. The way he raced at Portimao was phenomenal, Loved wasn't it? it? The way he side through the field. That's Loved a racer. It. That's a true racer. Unfortunately, that team. I just we got wish we got that more from Kimi because there's no doubt he's still got that. Yeah. It's just whether he can be bothered to get I'm it out of the sure. fast draw. Seems to be, but I'm pretty sure that when those lights go out. Kimi Raikkonen and the racer is there in, in every way, shape and form. It's just the way that things pan out. He and you don't really that. seen it. Do you not, Nick? No, I think, I think, I think in fairness to Kimi, I think, you know, what can you do with that car? That's what um, I mean. Yeah. I think when he, a couple of times he put in really, really excellent performances. I think he particularly enjoyed being head of Ferraris. Oh, yeah, yes. Great fun doing that. But I think a lot of races he just kind of went, really? And I, and I can understand it. And that's the problem of having a 41-year-old who's done 4 million races. They are going to get to a point where they're going realistically. It's like Fernando Alonso when he, when he, in his last couple of races. The guy goes, let's really go for that final point. I have 1,400 points. I don't need another one. <laughs> you know, it's the same thing. It's like, why, why bother? And I think, you know, you, you need a bit of hunger. Giovinazzi is, 
I'm sure an excellent driver, but unimpressive mm. at this level. I think the car, the car is where it is. Those drivers have gotten that car where it is. It's a, it's a poor effort, really. Just a shame it didn't have a Mercedes engine in the back of it. Or anything. Uh, yeah, last year's Ferrari engine. Well, <laughs> yeah, true yeah, enough. Yeah. Uh, another Ferrari-powered team in ninth position with the uh, yeah. sum total of three points for Roman Gorgian, who scored two, and Jan Magnussen, who scored one. That's Haas Ferrari. And Pietro uh, Fittipaldi, who scored none. Oh, yes, I haven't scrolled down that far um, yet. Hang on. Yes. Uh, correct. Um I, so disappointing, isn't it? It's it's so disappointing that team, considering they the can't raise any sp- they can't raise any sponsorship. I, I, unbelievable that that the, t- the way the team, you know, the history of the Haas organisation, I expected more by now from that organisation entering Formula One, and they really haven't really have they? I mean, they've they've got a strong team of people in that behind that garage door you know Gunter Steiner he knows what to do the guys and girls who, he, who he's got in the team they know what to do I was absolutely gobsmacked by the driver choice this year no disrespect to Kevin Magnussen I like Kevin Magnussen Grosjean I'm baffled why they retained Grosjean for 20. I'm baffled why they well, retained either of them I, well in fact Grosjean given their in, most exposure of the year they did nothing yeah. in 2019 um why Why would they expect to do anything in 2020 I, by not think, changing anything? Yeah, I think the issue was is that there was no real commitment to actually be of a future for the Haas team. So January the 1st last year, they, they didn't know they'd be there at January the 1st, 2021. And the There's been no development on the car. They have not developed the car since pre-season testing. However, what they have found themselves with is a more favourable financial future going forward with a cost cap and a guaranteed income. So they're not going to hemorrhage cash. So they can budget it. So um, The guaranteed yeah. income coming so from taking the Ferrari junior drivers. No, I'm talking about the actual fact they haven't got to spend that much money. There's more money ah. coming back from the, the, the more right. evenness of the payout. So they work out, well, we're going to get this much money back. We know that. Okay, so I know Gene no longer has to write a, a never-ending check to run this. So now and now he thinks and now he thinks, oh, it's a franchise. I can flog it to someone. So what they've done is they they, tre- they trod water last year with consistency between the two drivers, Magnussen, and then this year they've kicked consistency into touch and gone, hello, there's check A from Ferrari for Mick Schumacher and big check B. From Nikita Mazepan, who we'd also quite like, you know, Daddy, could you actually to Daddy might possibly buy our franchise, you know, if we can, you know, if we can get past the social media issues, um, and that's what they got. And, and effectively, it's just become a financial model. You know, if you, if you don't develop a car at all, you know, you're going to go backwards through the season. You get left behind, aren't you? You could, you're going to get left behind. That's that's the the pace of Formula One. For me, they're the most entertaining team behind the scenes. You only have to watch the Netflix documentary. I look forward to seeing the 2020 uh, documentary. Uh, the, the the you know my my seeing is there's a soap opera behind every garage door. That is that is certainly a soap opera in that team. More so towards the end of the season for obvious reasons. Yeah, I, think, I think the issue is that they have been stymied by their zero ambition. Yeah, mm. they've kind of had a free pass because this year's been weird. And now they've next year they're going to have a free pass. They've got two rookies. Hopefully, my hope is they either Gene re-energizes his his interest for twenty twenty two, or they get a new owner. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's how Ferrari. They were the last points paying points scoring. What do we think of uh, before we move on? What do we think of Fittipaldi on his uh, two races? 
it was fantastic to see the Fittipaldi name back on the timing screens. But for me, it was a bit... Ugh. It didn't really didn't really do anything to stir me. He didn't do any worse than, you know, whoever... You know, than, than Roman. Yeah, he did true. He did a journeyman I think, job. you know, he hadn't driven single seats for two or three years. He hadn't driven that car for a few months. He got in there. He drove it round. It's never going to do anything anyway. And he said himself, he was just putting himself in the shop window for sports car drives. Yeah, good for him. So, fine. Yeah. Uh, you know, and in fairness, let's say one thing for Haas. They actually employed their reserve driver. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Round of applause. Good, good point. Uh, they were the last of points scoring teams. Williams, Mercedes were left pointless, although, of course, one of their drivers did score points, but for another team. Uh, that was George Russell in 18th place. He's three points gained for, uh, William, for um, uh, Mercedes, uh, of course, uh, although the three points are next to his name. They don't go to the team. Uh, he had uh, uh, Nicholas Latifi and Jack Aitken, his teammates, uh, through the years, a year of great change for Williams is what is what we should say. Um, obviously, they will feel their new owners and indeed their new chief operating officer recently. Jost Capito, starting in February. Uh, Jost Capito, for those who don't know, was the man behind uh, a lot of Ford's success in world rallying. Uh, he was the man behind a lot of VW's success. Had a very everybody. weird six weeks at McLaren. Had. Um, <laughs> uh, the two things that, before I get to the McLaren thing, the two things that stood out with what Yost did, particularly at Ford and at VW, was that he managed to keep convincing the board and their sponsors to give them money to go and do the stuff. He was very, very good at that indeed. He was also quite good at man management, particularly at Ford when they had some very big characters in the WRC team. I've, I've interviewed him a few times. I actually really like him. But his time at McLaren, Nick, and I'm pleased you brought that up, that was really bizarre. It, it was strange. old school. It was, it was old the, school the change between... Did he come in to replace Boulier? Was he in, I mean, it was a really weird situation where he was in and he was out with the, with the reshuffle when Ron left. It was like he was there for so little time. And I don't think it had anything to do with him. I think he just wasn't wasn't from the uh, the new broom effect. He was, he was an old he was an old brush head, and the new broom wasn't interested. But uh, yeah, I think it's an interesting move. Um, yeah, it is. You know, the most seismic year in Williams history since they they started Williams Grand Prix engineering in 1976 and that new version when they split from Wolf because of course Frank and Claire and the rest of the family have party company with the team back in about the second or third Grand Prix was it, was mm. it early on Dorlton <laughs> Capital came in and bought um, a controlling interest and then a couple of races later Claire announced that she wasn't pushed she decided she wanted to leave with the team and they left and um you know, there's been the car was left as it was, but there's been a lot of infrastructure work going on. They said they're going to keep things as much as they can. I think they're going to. I do believe that the the one of the downfalls was the stubbornness of Williams in, in inability to accept the way things were, and the way things are is you don't do your own gearbox. The way things are is you do buy list the listed parts from someone else. You don't yeah. build it all yourself because actually you can't do it any better than Mercedes, mm. even using Mercedes engine. It may have well, happened. Even Racing Point realised that. Yeah, well, but to, to an extreme. But let's, yeah, it, it, yeah, but, and I'm sure, but obviously the McLaren isn't going to look like a, a Mercedes or a Racing Point. But the point is, sometimes you're spending money for, 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 for pointless reasons. Yeah, but the, the point about the Racing Point, and, which, and it's, it's a point you've made, plenty of points there, very well, <laughs> uh, with, with Williams, Racing Point realised that if they were going to use the Mercedes engine and the Mercedes gearbox, 
and therefore you were using the suspension and the rear end. Yeah, 50, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the suspension pickup points at the back. There was no. What is the Mercedes? It's not a high rear car. So what's the point of trying to make but your version? Don't forget of it a that high Williams weren't doing that. They were just using the engine and the hybrid system. Everything else they with themselves. And it was you know, for a company that's not flowing in cash. It was it, it was basically they were writing a very slow suicide note mm. because based on stubbornness. Well, that stubbornness is gone now. Hopefully, there'll be pragmatism from the, the new owners, and it sounds like they're going well, about the right way, but <laughs> still, it's a long, long way back. Sure. The new owners, James Matthews, who has got a background in, in racing, albeit quite a while ago. He was raced in British Formula 3. I know him from karting back in the early 90s. Formula Renault champion he understands in 1994. Con- Say again? Formula Renault, Renault champion, champion in 1994. 1994. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I knew him. He was teammate at Ralph Furman for Terry Fulton in karts. Back in 1990, he had a great mechanic at that time as well. Is that when you were spannering for them? <laughs> yes, I was. Great mechanic. So uh, are we expecting to hear you um, become team manager sometime soon at Williams? I need to make that call. We have lost connection since for about the last 25 years. It'll be on LinkedIn. Um, Remember Got to be. Got to be. Uh, I'll speak to his wife. I know Pippa quite well. Um, or at least, was that a dream? Might have been. Um, That's always a worrying state when you say that, Joe. How well do you know her? <laughs> my, my point is um, that you know, the new owners are not seeing it just as a financial investment. Well, he, understand, he understands racing and he understands the concept of what's needed to be competitive. It's a sorry sight to see Williams with zero points, isn't but it? Less bad than last year. It's oh, yeah. much less bad. They, 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 but the thing is, they, they improved. They, it's quite lucky, really, because they improved by reasonable chunk from awful to poor <laughs> at the same time as two other teams dropped down because they lost the power so they ended up with someone to race with mm. but that was more because that was also due that actually didn't improve enough this year but they were lucky that two teams had fallen back if you look at who actually got faster through the season the team that gained the most time in all those algorithms that, that went out on all of those um, Things. graphics yeah. on the TV coverage the team that, that improved the most was Haas and Renault hmm and though in actual real, I think if you only count one car, Red Bull probably because they sorted a lot of their problems out. But it doesn't matter because anyway, Williams had the other thing I had to say. I need to say this about Williams. Williams have by far the worst driver on the grid. Nicholas Latifi has proven what I was. Unf- un- un- I suspected he is just a millionaire's son. He may have lucked into a couple of F2 wins. He's not the grade. He shouldn't be there. He will be there for money. Hopefully, at the end of this year, they can out him and get someone who's got some talent because they're going to lose George, who, as we found out in uh, the Sakia Grand Prix, is the real deal, much as we thought he would be. And more importantly, he is the real deal for Mercedes moving forward because Ocon shot himself in the foot this year. Um, and he's managed by Toto. Well, I mean... Uh, uh, um, that was always going to be the deal, though, wasn't it? George Russell was always going to move eventually into Mercedes. I would, I, well, I would, not if Ocon had been really good. I want. I want. I thought see, he was going to be. I want to see uh, Bottas and Albon at Williams. Do you know what? If they, do, if they build a, a decent deal. car, that'll be a decent team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not joking. I, I'm not. I really rate Albon. I think he's been dealt a, a, a crappy set of cards, and I think we haven't seen the potential from that young man. I, I, but the interesting thing is... I mean, what about Jack Aiken out of, out of those three? I thought pretty, he did a, a, a Aiken, sensible Aiken job when he came in. He did made a, a good, couple of mistakes. Yeah, but I mean, Aiken um, is chuffed a bit to his reserve driving has actually got him to start. He's not on anyone's list for a drive moving forward, but he's done that. He can always say he was an F1 driver forever, like mm-hmm. Tiffany Dell, one start, I'm an F1 driver forever. But his career needs to go into one of these, hopefully, multitudinous opportunities in, in work sports car racing. 
Uh, up until uh, last year, Aitken was uh, on the Renault driver's plan and they dumped him and he went to Williams. Would he have been better off moving out of Formula One then? And, and obviously he has now started a Grand Prix, but he didn't know that that was going to happen at the start of the year. But it's the dream for everyone, isn't it? It's the dream, and he's and he's followed that dream. And you know what? I'm really chuffed for him because he's not he's a nice guy. He's not a guy who's going to get a career in F1. He's got the start. He's got that T-shirt ticked. He's he's worked so hard for it, and his family and friends have paid so much money for it in the past. Now he needs to go and be a professional racing driver somewhere else and start earning some yes. money out of it. I mean, we've just been talking about karting and how it's 150 thousand pounds to go and do. Uh, a season with a top team in a national championship in the UK at aged eight in a cadet class, where, by the way, you can't do anything with the engine. It's a sailed engine. I mean, that 150 grand for a cadet is just bonkers. That's the... S- sorry, I was no, 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 I know, I know, I know. Uh, Joe and I... I try to explain it. And in fairness, Paul DeResta has mentioned that over the season as well, and Anthony Davidson. I think probably mainly to put their children off asking... Well, uh, certainly Paul, he doesn't like buy a coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and Kimmy Reisman said it as well. He, he um, said uh, during the season that he um, was looking at how much kids were paying for karting and couldn't believe that exactly he one season of karting now is more than he spent on his entire junior career. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what Nick's talking about with Jack Aiken, about you know earning a living rather than just throwing money into a bottomless pit um, of forever it seems to be right we've, well, we've been through all we've been through all the teams uh, we've been through all the drivers I'm sure you'll have your own ideas uh, about them uh, I, I think we know what everybody's going to say about uh, the next questions uh, driver of the year Nick uh, Lewis Hamilton by a massive margin Joe I've, I've got to agree with Nick Lewis Hamilton for me, but I'd like a, a, a special mention for George Russell, who's just proved that even the guys at the back are trying absolutely hard. Yeah, are, are absolutely. Fact, sometimes they're trying harder. Are asterisk, asterisk, asterisk hot. Yeah, yeah. Just three asterisks. I meant four. Okay. <laughs> yes. Spelling's <laughs> never been your strong point, has it? Spelling and arithmetic never good. Never, never good. Tim, driver of the year, Lewis Hamilton as well. I want to ask Driver of the Year excluding Hamilton. And for oh, me, that's Pierre Gasly. Oh, okay. Um, I don't want to say this, but because for various reasons, but it was Max Verstappen. Yeah, I th- I, I, again, I have to agree with Nick <laughs> because Max Verstappen has kept the pressure on. He's kept the pressure on, kept the pressure on, and just, you know, any slip, he's been there. I just wish that Max would have a less... Um, would lose the yes men, have been more questioned and grow up. Uh, minus Perez, by the way, Is it? because he's done it against the odds. He's not the favoured son in that team, literally. Uh, and he put a pretty good season together to finish fourth. Yes, there's all kind of reasons, as we discussed, but I think Perez. It's not bad. I agree with Tim. Tim. Very good choice, Tim. Gasly, Gasly is Perez, absolutely Perez for me absolutely is, is not a great racing driver. I'll tell you why I, 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 I'll tell you why I'm prepared. To, to bang Checo's drum is because his his career he was sh- very shabbily treated um, at, at McLaren 
Yeah, the chance, the chance came too and soon. That could, that and could have ended had, his career. Yeah, he, was in, he, he went to a situation which was pretty toxic in the team itself. It was, McLaren at that period was, you know, once Lewis had left, was about to go down and won the heaviest downward spirals in motor racing history. The thing I love about Perez, doesn't matter where he starts on the grid, there's always a chance of a podium. Oh, he, he improves. Absolutely. He's, he's a, he is obviously of his time because his major talent is his tyre whispering. Yeah. yeah. Um, which... Isn't which wasn't needed until the Pirelli era. So, yeah. but he that but we're in the Pirelli era, so he's the driver of his time, and that'll make him a very good sports car driver as well. All of the drivers would be very good sports car drivers, I think. And you know, and then we wouldn't have to talk about Formula One; we'd be talking about the Le Mans instead. But Nick and I love talking about Formula One. Ah, right. <laughs> well, we'll be talking about it in 2021 as well. Whenever the season gets underway. Can I just say one thing? Yeah. And I want to say. Uh, Genuinely, congratulations to FOMF1 for getting the season away. 17 yeah, no, races in those agree, countries. Um, and, and beyond that, Nick, it wasn't just the fact that they got that off. I, I think I said this with Jeremy and Shear. I think motorsport have done a, a generally have done a pretty good job. Formula One in particular because there's been more travelling to more places from them. And the incidence of contamination where the protocols have to come in has been handled swiftly, smoothly, and whether it was, you know, Hulkenberg jumping in in Germany or Lewis not being able to drive in in, in Bahrain, I, I think all of motorsports done very well and I think Formula One has done particularly well. And remember that in the break between March when the world went into lockdown, a lot of these organisations stepped up and used their engineering very innovation good and their resources to help the cause. And that has got to be commended massively. And a lot of people from the sport, like uh, like Ron Dennis, spent a lot of his own money making Absolutely, sure yeah. that uh, that frontline workers here in the UK um, had food to eat. Uh, thank you to Tim Gray, our executive producer, to uh, Joe Bradley, who joined us on this uh, FIA Formula One 2020 review. Of course, to our Formula One uh, correspondent, Nick Dearman. Bye. I'm John Hindob. Thanks for joining us. Have a great holiday period and a fabulous racing, hopefully, 2021. Bye-bye. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.